This Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch for May of 2020 is brought to you by our patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, you too can see what we have on offer and support your boys. Thank you. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch for May. Yeah. It's the uh, monthly show where we take your questions and prompts and we read your responses to May's games. Yep. Uh, so we're going to hit your Q&A. We're going to talk about the topic. Then we're going to read your responses to Hypnospace Outlaw, Celeste, and Resident Evil 3 Remake. Um, I do not like hit your Q&A. Uh, no. Because uh, uh, first of all, it contains within the subset of that hit your A. Mm. which you know and then q is just like what's that um you know, it's uh, he's, recontextualized he's, he's by the, the insider he's the insider in the government who sends out the messages yeah, yeah. and he's the uh captain picard's nemesis so he deserves <laughs> a hit Leave captain <laughs> picard alone is he the nemesis i thought he was just a like a like a dude on the ship he no q yeah whoa uh, <laughs> q, q, he's like a mr mix picklet character kind gotcha. of gotcha okay yeah. Like or like uh like that imp that followed around Fred Flintstone. Oh, he's like a okay, the wish yeah, like master, a... the tiny wishmaster with the helmet. <laughs> you know? Quasar or whatever. Okay. Yeah, huh. yeah. He's he's kinda like that, except like uh more cosmic scale and like a little bit more impish and antagonistic. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh yeah. well, no. I, I just I just Are you thinking about but, Guinan? Who are you thinking about? I I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking <laughs> yeah. of Data. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. You must have been thinking about data. Yeah. No, I I, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't realize I just pulled down my pants and chilled my whole ass. But <laughs> well, I mean, in in a very in the Star Trek Next Generation sense, okay, like yeah. within a very small subset of ass, like yeah, you you, you pulled down your pants and showed your ass to a microscopic window. Oh yeah. So if anybody can make anything out, they earned it. I, I care more yeah. about the concepts than the characters is the thing. So. Well, the concept is a character. Oh. The entire universe. In some <laughs> ways, the Federation. In, in some ways, the characters are concepts. In some ways, the neutral zone is a character. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to answer your questions and we're going to get started. Mm -hmm. uh, here, let me take uh, a look here. Um, I'll go ahead and read this question from Greg. Okay. Uh, Recently, I've been having, uh, I've been trying to find solutions to the problem of too many games to play and not enough time. First world problems, right? I'm not lucky enough to be like you guys, and I still trudge to an office for 40 hours a week, uh, even during this virus thing going on. Uh, however, I did volunteer, and they are paying extra money. That's great. Yeah. Uh, one solution I've come up with is to watch what I call video game, uh, watch what I call a vid game video on the game. Several YouTube channels post all the dialogue and cutscenes for a game with a little gameplay in between to provide an example, and I found that that works very well to let me experience the game without having to play it much uh, for much less of a time investment. A 40-hour game, for example, could be broken down into a three-hour-long game video. I do feel a little guilty about experiencing games this way, but I also rationalize it by saying it's an efficient solution to the problem. What do you guys think, uh, and have you ever done this personally? Uh, no. 
I mean, this feels pretty similar to, I mean, what people say about the streams that I do. And I imagine, you know, the, this probably comes a little bit with your Darkest Dungeon, let's, you know, let's play kind of stuff. It's like, oh, like I, I would never play this kind of game or I would never play this, but I get it vicariously through, through the video. I mean, it also lines up with, you know, when we do like WAF as a service, people listen to sure. the, you yeah. know, the WAF episodes without having, without having heard it. Or without having played the actual game in in, in question, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. I, I don't have any. Uh, I think this is pretty common. I mean, it's also basically what let's plays are. Yeah, you know, um, if uh, they they tend to take longer mm-hmm. because the let's plays in real time and have more commentary, but you can find long plays that have no commentary, mm-hmm. and you can find text based let's plays at LP Archive that have uh, they're done in screenshots yeah. so they go by much quicker and they just kind of give you the idea and mm-hmm. video links to show you i uh, i yeah i get this kind of thing i have no uh no problem with that there's a uh uh youtube channel and uh, i think it's oni black mage is the name okay of it that i subscribed to a long time ago that just does this with like jrpgs uh and i try to remember the reason why i first subscribed to it but mm-hmm. it's like, what is the story of this? Yeah. And it doesn't show all the cutscenes, but it summarizes these games in like about a half hour. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I'm ever like someone ever says like, oh, man, this game, you know, is trash, but the plot is really cool. I'm like, well, maybe before bed, I'll like, you know, put this on. Yeah. I mean, you're, so you're just kind of bro- broadening like your awareness without without spending all the time, you know, kind of do it, doing all the all the bad stuff or the stuff that doesn't really like peak, peak your interest and actually spending well, that time. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Like Greg doesn't have time. Yeah. It's not, it's not that he's not interested. It's like, mm-hmm. he's just working all the time. Yeah. So I think yeah. that it's more than it being like getting a, a chance to get a taste without doing the stuff that piques your interest. I think it's more like, um, like video games are an activity and an interest. Yeah. You know, like yeah. a hobby. This is you engaging with the hobby and interest of video games without mm-hmm. actually playing them. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that's less time consuming and, you know, that's great. And you can do it like on your commute. Yeah. You know, you can do it through podcast and shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I certainly don't think anybody should feel guilty <laughs> about no, doing no. that. Like you're not, you're not necessarily accountable to somebody. Like, I don't know, maybe we're getting in, into an argument about the game with somebody. First off, don't argue with people about games. Second off, like, you know, maybe provide that information, say like, oh, I got it here. But like, no, you're not accountable to anybody for how you how you got that information into you. So, well, and you're, it's not rare at all. Like in the age right. of Twitch, yeah, you know, streaming and stuff like this is incredibly common. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like being mad about this almost feels it feels a little bit like being mad that somebody listened to an audiobook version of a book instead of instead of you know reading it on text. Right. People do that, man. There was that like that uh, David Lynch thing where he was like, if you watched a movie on your iPhone, you can't say you watched it. I love that video. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like it too because it, <laughs> well, he's he the guy see. that says things that like, like if anyone else said them, I'd be mad. Right. Like if somebody added me that on Twitter, uh-huh. they would go to Block City like really, really quick. But yeah. like, you know, David Lynch can say it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. you can say anything. You're fucking. Well, beyond. it's it, it, like like his delivery because he starts he starts off like you know talking about like ah yes technology it's a it's such a it's such a thing but then he just takes a left turn right into if you've watched it on your fucking phone and you've not fucking yep. seen it <laughs> like yeah yeah which which I strongly disagree with yes you know yeah. I, I I 
in the strongest possible terms. Mm-hmm. Like, and also like, hey, Christopher Nolan, like, I know that you've got, uh, you know, you put a lot of pride in your work and whatever, but like, I don't know, maybe, maybe people can watch your movie at home and it's still the movie that you, that you made. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> maybe you stop being quite so precious about how people, you don't get to control how people consume your art. Yeah. You know, it's in the so. world. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know that I have an answer to this, but I want to bring it up. Uh, Popo Fashosho writes, uh, do you guys think it's more valuable to expand and perfect a genre or risk something totally new? For example, Super Mario World nailing the 2D platformer or Jumping Flash exploring a novel way to platform in 3D space. I, I uh, like both those need, games. <laughs> yeah. Like we need both. Yeah. You know, I think that the, uh, the latter is more likely to age poorly. Like yeah. I actually like Jumping Flash, but mm-hmm. like you know, trying a new thing like that is more likely to just be an experiment that like maybe shouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's funny. It came up cause I was, uh, Tony Hawk's in the news because they're doing that remaster mm-hmm. and, uh, the people who are doing that are the people who did the isometric Tony Hawk, uh, portable games. Oh, wow. And like, which are simultaneously neat, but really bad. Yeah. Like, I think those feel horrible to play and they were getting really <laughs> good reviews at the time because they were innovative and like, translating something in a difficult way yeah so it had that value you know but it it, they don't age very well Mm -hmm. like they're they're not fun yeah um you know and uh so yeah so they're both valuable Mm -hmm. i think that one of them is you know super mario world is eternal Mm -hmm. uh you know uh jumping flash is not even though i like it a lot yeah so i mean to, to to use probably a metaphor that's only half apt uh somebody needs to cut a foot trail before a you know before a highway is laid down yeah. Right. Yeah. So both are good. Yeah. That is our cop-out answer. <laughs> um, Mark says, uh, do you have any contenders for the best tiny details in games? I've been playing the Final Fantasy VII Remake lately, and some of my favorite bits are that you can see the materia you have equipped uh, on your weapons, and that Cloud moves his ridiculously sized sword out of the way when he sits on a bench. Just some nice added touches here and there. The action-specific taunts from the Island Master at the end of Grimrock 2 also fall into this category for me, and glad to hear you give them a shout-out in the episode. Man, Cole, remember Grimrock 2? <laughs> Grimrock 2 is really good. That's a very <laughs> good like, video game, Gary. Remember when we were playing that? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> You're only really saying that um, because you because you got all eager and played Crash 2 like over a very concentrated eager. amount of time. <laughs> it isn't eager. It was just I could play it in bed. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so like Ko- Kojima games are actually really big about this for me. Um, oh, one sure. Of, one of these doesn't doesn't necessarily count as a Kojima game, but like it is one of my favorite little just like comic beats in a in a cinematic in um Resident Evil Revengeance. Uh, there's a cutscene where like a little like drone What's like a Resident Evil on- Revengeance. No, God, Resident Evil. Sorry, man. I told you I haven't been sleeping. Uh, what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is Metal Gear Rising: Revengeance. There we go. Um, there's a drone. There's like a tripod, uh, tripod drone that uh, breaks into a little uh, facility and has to like get some data off of a computer, and it does so by putting it a little USB drive. But when it goes to put it in the first time, it's the it's the wrong way, so he has to turn it around, and it doesn't go in that way, so he has to turn it around again, and then it goes in. So it's like. The, the robot does literally everything that <laughs> the, it does yeah, the yeah. way a human does. Yeah. Um, uh, the other one from a Kojima game is this is just a small little moment in play, but I was trying to do a non-lethal mission in Metal Gear Solid Five, um, and I tranked a guy um, mm-hmm. at a you know I, I shot him from behind, but he fell down in such a way that his neck broke. 
so he passed okay. over. So, so he died, and then I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then it didn't count as a non-lethal run. Yeah. <laughs> he, like, yeah. he, that kind of he, stuff is real fun. Yeah, he fell like into a traffic booth or something, and then just totally million million dollar babied it. The um, <laughs> the uh, there's a you know, as much TV tropes as meh. You know, there's a there's a, a page on that that I've browsed like a billion times, which is like the developer think, thought of everything, uh-huh. um, which is all full of these things. And yes. it's a really fun browse. Like, I love uh, I love this kind of stuff, too. Um, mm-hmm. Deus Ex 1 has a lot of this yep. um, in terms of like doing things in different orders. Uh, so characters account for it. Characters mm-hmm. comment on it specifically in uh, in Hong Kong. Um, you know, that chapter is really rich with this. Yeah. Uh, where you like. You know, if you played the game, you know, Maggie Chow is uh, problematic. But when you go there, like, you can be, you know, suspicious and paranoid. Mm-hmm. And you have the player knowledge, but characters will comment on it. Mm. Um, same thing with um, the uh, the greenhouse or the uh, the cemetery, rather. Mm-hmm. Where you go visit the Illuminati leader. Um, the guy who's the doorman will betray you. If you just kill him, the Illuminati leader will be like, hmm, paranoid. I like it. <laughs> you know, and it's before he does it. Yeah. You know, so it's just like, uh, of course, the Illuminati guy would support that kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, same thing, killing the uh, pilot before finding out about the bomb. Oh, yeah. Things like that. Like, it's, you know, it's it's really fun mm-hmm. uh, when a game will take into account the fact that you can kind of sequence break. Yeah. There's there's so. one of these in Resident Evil 3. I, for, I forget if we commented on it, but uh, in the final final area in the Nest 2, when you're getting the components for the uh, for the vaccine, uh, you know, you're probably going to read the document that says, like, oh, you need the adjuvant and the antigens or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. If you go and get those pieces without reading that the comments that Jill makes are different. So if she's read it, she says, Ooh, this must be the adjuvant or this must be the antigen. If you pick it up, she's just like, Ooh, this is one part of the, of the vaccine or what have you. Oh, she doesn't know the terms for it. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, that, that stuff is some of my favorite stuff that video yeah. games can do. Uh, there's a good thread for this on something awful in the games forum as well. It's a long running mm-hmm. thread. Uh, just that, yeah. that is like literally just like favorite little details in games. Yeah, even though sometimes people there will just say something that's like the point of the game. Yeah, like that's, 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 you're going to run into that. not a little detail, my man. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like there's, there's a weird thing that happens in conversations where people feel the need to shoehorn in something that they want to talk about anyway. Yeah. yeah. I've complained about that before, but mm-hmm. it's like if you only have the one example and you just want to play, <laughs> you know, this is the ball I have. It doesn't matter that it's a football and I'm at a baseball game, but I'm yeah. going to bring it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll read another question here for Mark, just because this has piled up for a little bit. Uh, do you think that there is really such a thing as an educational game? I tend to think that phrase is an oxymoron unless you're talking about typing or basic math. Oregon Trail did teach me what cholera and dysentery were, but I don't think that qualifies as educational in a way that my fifth grade teacher meant. <clears throat> I think that Oregon Trail is slightly less educational than some other educational games, but I think that education exists in games like a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, example that I use a lot is the Grace chapters of Game of Light 2. Yep. Where it's just you reading actual ass museum slides to learn Ludwig facts. Ludwig facts. Uh, those are all real facts. You're loving this, you aren't know? you, Cole? <laughs> yeah, and you, and you can learn them. Yep. Like, you, they're real facts. You can learn them, and that's mm-hmm. the game, you know? So it can definitely uh, happen. And then, like, Carmen San Diego. Yep. Those are basically trivia games. Mm-hmm. When you play them, I, I bought one of those little... Uh, micro consoles of apple like the same one they have for oregon trail but they made one for carmen san diego yep no i got that too uh, you uh you recommended that yeah. i get it it's fun it's, it's fun just to be able to pick up and, and play a game of carmen san diego and they're just mm-hmm. trivia yeah you know 
so it's it's it teaches you things as much as trivia does, which is asking you a question and telling you the real answer if you're wrong. Yeah. No, I mean this is something that I really like the Assassin's Creed games for, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh and they've they've done this for a little bit, but like even here recently with like um oh gosh, Origins on Odyssey, they've just straight up added little tourist modes where you're like going around these really well researched and modeled, you know, areas, you know, the ancient cities and stuff like that. But like, I don't know, it was real cool being able to like climb around the Parthenon and stuff like that. <laughs> or yeah. the, the Pantheon in Rome, like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, where you're just going all around the uh going all around Rome and the Vatican and stuff. Uh it's real neat. And you like you get little tool tips that explain stuff and you have a researcher on the outside who sends you emails about particular, you know, people and individuals. It's like the Gabriel Knight thing where it is there is there is truth there and then they add a little like conspiracy element on top of it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I still get something out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think absolutely it can happen. I think that Oregon Trail is just not nearly as educational as it's meant to be. I think it's a fun game and that's why. Yes. You know. that, that, that's why it's it's out there um, in people's minds. Yeah. yeah. Julia asks, uh, are there any genre ma- mashups you desire but have never found? Um, poorly executed examples can be ignored. um yeah absolutely Uh, i think like why is there not a roguelike kart racer yeah you get different abilities as you go through like procedurally generated tracks that'd be pretty cool yeah seems like something that could work to me Mm -hmm. uh why why have i not played a really good like rhythm-based stealth game you know like there are a couple Uh, There, there there are some attempts that have been made like on ios or whatever not 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 necessarily work for me you know hmm I've I've not played those, but I know that they uh yeah they are extant. You know, um yeah, I think I think that'd be really cool. I've I've talked before about uh, and they're also like not so much genre mashups of uh, gameplay things, but like themings and stuff that I want in certain genres. Like yeah. I've talked about how I want like an open world o four five one D and D game. Mm-hmm. Like you you know you choose a class and stuff, but then you just exist in Faerun yeah. and you go around and you know do like better written Skyrim shit. But you're just an adventurer, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like Mountain Blade, but with the, the license and a little bit higher magic. Yeah. No. Kind of thing. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, I also want a you're new to the X-Men simulator. <laughs> um, X-Men Tactics. I've oh, yeah. that for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good idea. Just just take Freedom Force and overlay X-Men onto it. Yeah. 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 Or even just do grid-based, you know, like you mm-hmm. have different, uh, instead of having classes, you have individual characters, like get yourself a roster, 10 X-Men, they all have different powers, you yeah. choose your loadout, like Final Fantasy Tactics. It's, like, it sounds like it's like, like <laughs> what you're asking for is X-Men, or uh, is XCOM, uh, XCOM Chimera Squad, but with, but with X-Men, X-Men Chimera Squad. Yeah, yeah. yeah X-Men Chimera Squad. <laughs> um, I don't like, before bed, I've lately, I've been thinking about, like, how I would do some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to, cause yeah. I, I don't like programming and I don't uh, want to, but yeah. the, uh, <laughs> I've just been like, what would the X-Men, you know, strategy like games be? And like thinking about um, how the different like characters would, what their strengths and weaknesses. And it's, it's, I think this is a surprisingly good idea. Mm-hmm. So hit me up. <clears throat> like whoever's making, just printing money, making, card battlers on ios that have the x-men in them <laughs> yeah. i'll give you a thing that you can pay 4.95 for and that will sell worse than any of your other games mm-hmm. because nuts it's not g- a free-to-play <laughs> gotcha pond thing nothing nuts and gum together at last <laughs> together at last this is better than nuts and gum i know i know 
This is Skittle Brow, my man. <laughs> Skittle um, Brow's awful. <laughs> yeah, Skittle Brow doesn't work. It no, explodes. no, I've, I've tried it. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, this is the ice cream with the tiny pies in it. Oh yeah, which yeah. is actually that sounds awesome. Yeah. uh let's see here robert writes uh what games do you come back to as comfort food what games do you use to escape management sims Mm -hmm. your uh your 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 uh frost punks and your rim worlds uh and even things like your your factorio or your uh your uh, stardew valley those are games that are holes for me for a reason yep and for me it is uh you know at code yellow depression it's lots of Isaac and Enter the Gungeon mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. And then Code Red, it's The Sims. Yes. That's when it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to make a Gary whose life works. <laughs> uh, that is, that's absolutely Code Red. Yes. Um, yeah. William yeah. says, uh, what do you find motivating in games? In this last episode, Gary mentioned not being motivated by overcoming a challenge. So what is your favorite way for a game to move you forward? Um, I think this is a good question and actually like almost has topic potential. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at some point, but we can, we can do an abbreviated version of it and if we decide to revisit it later. Mm-hmm. We can. Um, I like, so for me, and this is, it's interesting cause I, I, we just did Celeste. I just wrapped up my dark souls three modded let's play in mm-hmm. recording. Like it won't come out for a long time, but I finished recording it and stuff like that. And that made me think a lot about this. And I was thinking about, um, so a tiny, like little parable thing, like the mod I did was a challenge mod, but with lots of ease of use considerations and like, a easy cinders, buttons. right? Yeah. Cinders. Uh, really cool. We'll do a bonfire side chat on it at some point. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's another mod that's just like, you know, the adversity mod. Mm. And I watched someone play that just to see what was different. And what was different was they spent an hour trying to fight Udix Gundir. Like Udix <laughs> Gundir was just so much harder. Yeah. And I was thinking about like, why do I not like that? And for that person, they got to the end of Udix Gunder and they're like fist pump, like fuck yes. Mm-hmm. And I realized the reason why I don't like getting stuck on a boss for a very long time like that is because I want to see the next thing. Yep. And that's a big motivator for me in games. Mm-hmm. Like I want to go over a horizon, see the next level, not necessarily see the next like trick, you know, or whatever. It doesn't have to be like, oh, here's a new platform. It doesn't even have to be new... like gameplay related. Yeah. Yeah. It could just be, you know, a little bit more of the plot, um, mm-hmm. new places to explore, uh, new abilities to get. Like, I want to see the next thing mm-hmm. is my big motivator in, in games. Uh, and then in terms of like personal stakes, I like overcoming challenges through uh, innovation kind of stuff. I like emergent, you know, 0451 Divinity Original Sin 2 style. Like, here's a combat challenge. How can I break the rules of this? Mm-hmm. You know, not just how can my reflexes be better, which is what like Celeste, like a lot of it was. Yes. You know, so so test my brain, and then also show me something new. Don't mm-hmm. test my reflexes. That's me. Yeah, um, I'm pr- I'm pretty similar uh, on this. You know, like novelty is definitely something that will draw me forward. I think you know, in games that have a story, uh, keeping the mystery alive is really good for that. Um, you mm-hmm. know, meeting out information and showing potential about you know what you will get if you do the next if you do the next thing i will want to see more of what the game is going to show me regardless of how it decides to show it to me you know like a you know yeah. be, be, be a dialogue be it a new uh thing or do that a new area that you get to um i want to learn more and you know the gameplay side of that is be able to do more maybe later on um mm-hmm. you know so i think that is that is absolutely a big one for me um, and games where story is not necessarily the uh, the, the the driving 
uh, the, the, the driving thing. Um, it, re- it really is uh, just a matter of, you know, if not new mechanics being put forward, uh, kind of the game requiring or allowing you to mix up existing mechanics in, um, uh, in, in more novel ways. Mm-hmm. novelty it's, oh. it's 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 a lot of novelty for me like yeah I'm a, I'm a big novelty chaser but like within a game like yeah. not necessarily from game to game like one of the um like i have good fun game conversations with will and me and will have different uh opinions on games and one of his things is he is very into like hey this game did something new and that's like he really craves that yeah and i'm not so much i like that's i've noticed that isn't so much a thing for me like a mm-hmm. game just kind of being novel on its own can you know it kind of depends yeah. right like i'm still thinking about is this good or bad i'm not just like oh it's it's new so that's great i'm not saying i'm not reducing will to saying that either right, it's, just, right. you know, it's more nuanced than that but within a game like within a subset of rules here's a new level and new enemies to learn is like very appealing yeah you know like but it, it's not like hey this game you know uh you have to control hold the controller upside down Mm. you know in, in, the, in this game like you have to like you know control it with your feet it's not so much <laughs> stuff like that like right i guess like there, there's the line between like gimmick and and novelty or novelty and just progression or newness mm-hmm. you know like a, like a like a wider scale novelty or a smaller scale novelty yeah but there's kind of like a delineation there mm-hmm. yeah I, I i know what you mean just more like probably more content is is probably what what yeah. we're what we're disguising with novelty there content yeah. is what we want yes <laughs> i'm and a gamer and i deserve a treat yeah yeah give me and make, make i want content and i want it to be above average <laughs> so <laughs> yeah give that to me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it so hard is that so hard mm. oh we're just we're just piggies feed us <laughs> yeah. gamer piggies Back yeah mm-hmm <laughs> uh let's see here uh i'll do this one real quick uh matt uh asks more of a question for cole how would you feel about a dark tower video game would you want something that followed the books or something set in the world uh perhaps it could be an open world game that was equal parts red dead the witcher and fallout um i would not be opposed to that there is a dark tower web game called discordia uh, that I would mm-hmm. like to play before it is uh, before it is pulled down, and that's more of a thing kind of set in the world. You're playing as somebody who is associated with one of the in-world, um, one of the in-world uh, kind of corporations, going and doing missions and stuff. Yeah, I think that what you lay out, like The Witcher, seems like a good uh, a, a good kind of uh, comparison with that is what I would like to see it uh, kind of kind of brought through. Maybe playing as a gunslinger in the Fall of Gilead or whatever. Um, I would like it to be smaller stories because the larger stories kind of already spoken for. And like for as much as <laughs> this the series is like, I oh, yes, it opens on a book called The Gunslinger. There's just a lot of stuff like I don't know how you do the drawing of the three as a uh, as a as a There's game like a, that has a, action. Yeah. A scope thing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, those those books are telling a story that is mm-hmm. way too big. Yeah. to be told you know in in a game mm-hmm. so i imagine a witcher approach would be good where it's like this is the world mm-hmm. this is these are the stories that happened yeah you know these are the stories that have yet to happen but here's the new story we're telling mm-hmm. using this as a backdrop yeah 
and like the, the the different the different books like would lend themselves to like different games like there are sequences in uh, the first one and the gunslinger where it would ju- like you could just do that in the re4 engine you know mm-hmm. but yeah oh. no i just I, I would not be opposed to it uh do, would i have faith that it would be done well <sighs> probably not but <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it, it's it's real hard when a licensed property kind of thing like that gets a home yeah run. especially when you care about yeah. it yeah yeah we can't like go expecting witchers you know nope. oh yeah because like witcher has a body count so like yeah Witcher yeah witcher has a body count uh and it, you know not only do we if there were too many witcher games first of all it'd be a pandemic like yes. people would just be you know uh dying of overwork all the time but mm-hmm. also like it's a rare thing yeah uh, Popo Fashosho asks, uh, you guys often talk about games being improved by being 20% shorter. Are there any games where you think they need more game, maybe an extra level to explore or a mechanic further, another type of enemy to diversify the enemy pool or, uh, one more currency to complicate the system? Um, it's what the reason why I wanted to mention this specifically is I think these two ideas are not, uh, ex- as exclusive. Maybe mm-hmm. it seems like yeah. Alan Wake should be 20% shorter by volume, but should definitely have like three more enemies. Yeah. And it could do both. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, Resident Evil three, the remake, like could definitely stand to have an extra level level, mm-hmm. you know, but I think it has a good amount of enemies and, you know, uh, uh, weapons and, and such. Yeah. No, just, uh, like what we are looking for, you know, is better kind of just more appropriate focus. Let's say better mm-hmm. is too vague. Um, and definitely saying, oh, just generally 20% shorter. That is, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, just a really flip way of expressing, expressing that we uh, wish that there was more appropriate focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are games that I love every, like, I, I like playing tons and I still think they would probably be an overall, like, leave me wanting more. Yeah experience if they're a little shorter like you're talking about grimrock like i loved grimrock mm-hmm. if that was 20 percent shorter i would like i don't think it would hurt it same you know there's no no specific thing i would cut mm-hmm. but i think it would probably be good for the game yeah you know and uh and that that's uh, that's okay that's less of a complaint than when something is just already a slog like a lot of times the 20 percent long thing comes along if the it's like a, a, an issue of like length and depth and if the depth isn't good enough you know so that 20% too long that Alan Wake is feels extremely too long because it's also like 60% not as deep as it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know? So it's it just, uh, there, there's, it's, it's complicated, but there are definitely games that need more time and more depth for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. You know, um, and that, that, that is almost like a, a, a corollary of, I, I cannot think of a game where I would not cut something. Yeah. 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 You know? Even just like minor things, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and, and that's fine. Like it, it doesn't, it's not damning, right? you know, because uh, it's like, you know, things, uh, not everything's going to work as well for every person, mm-hmm. you know? So say, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do Marcus's here just because it's real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Marcus asks, ignoring the issues of quality and customer respect for a minute, what games work the best or least for live service games? Are there any that haven't been historically attempted that you think would work? What's the most important aspect of these games uh, to live? Or, or what is the most important aspect that these games live and die on? Um, 
the idea like if i if if there's a game that seems interesting to me and it is revealed that it is a live service game that is kind of constantly going to be changing and evolving a la a fallout 76 or whatever that is an immediate way to dry up any enthusiasm i might have had for it so i I don't i I, I, I do not feel um equipped to answer this yeah same i i tend to quit i i have no i'm not looking for that Mm -hmm. in a game um i understand you know uh, people have definitely had that experience, like with your destinies and and what yeah. whatnot. Um, I just don't. I'm not. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. Like I will. I will go to a game. I will complete a game that is very very long. The kind of access such. Like I'll get all of the items and enter the gungeon. Yeah. And it will take a very long time. But that does not feel like I am uh, on a train track that is like being laid as I'm on it. Mm-hmm. You know, like that had an ending. Right. You know, and and. And I could get to it, even if like the actual ending for most things that are like that is like when you decide to stop, <laughs> you know, but just the idea that it's always out there. Like, I'm going to go back to Fallout 76 and try it with the uh, the Southers at some point. Yeah. With the uh, NPCs, mm-hmm. you know, now with content, um, <laughs> I I will try that at some point, but I'm not optimistic about it. And I don't feel like I need to go back for every like, here's the new event where it's like Deathclaw Canyon or whatever. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I I cannot relate to the gamer type of gra- like psychographic that likes that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you like know? even like games of the service elements and games that I love, like I don't know, Hitman games are cool, but the idea that there's an obligation created when there's a target who's only going to be there for a weekend and then it's gone, yeah, like that just doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. Let me kill Gary Busey yeah. whenever I want, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as many times as I want. Yeah. Using any method I want. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I understand it. Like they're trying to get you in for that little bit of time, but yeah. it just feels it feels greasy to me. Yeah. So yeah, not not for me. Mm-hmm. Um another quick one and then we maybe can move on from game questions. Yeah. Uh and I'm just using this because it's quick. Uh Mark says, uh, have either of you tried your hand at webcam, board games, or card games uh since the pandemic started? I've had a jury rig my setup some, but it's been a lot of fun playing with virtual friends and something I could probably continue to do uh, from now on with friends in other states. Related, this is the only time I've ever been excited for augmented reality anything, as it allows me to hover over someone's board and read their real-life magic cards in a pop-up window. Ooh. Uh, that sounds fun. Um, I have played Tabletop Simulator a little bit, or in the early days of it. It was fun. Um, in this uh, current uh, pandemic zone. I, I still do weekly game night over discord. Um, we're struggling with it a little bit. Like I find it a lot harder to focus and I yearn for the days of face to face tabletop. Yeah. I, I, it would not be the same for me. Um, just be, you know, just because I don't know, being able to see somebody <laughs> seems like mm-hmm. it would make, you know, make a big difference. Having a webcam on sucks yeah yeah i don't like it yeah. i i watched a uh, a comedy event over zoom uh, for the first time like you know people are still doing events and stuff yeah or was so, this the uh the uh, bob Kirk david cross yeah. one yeah yeah the mr show thing um i love those people it was for charity it was pretty bad yeah. like and and it was pretty bad because comic timing is extremely difficult over zoom mm-hmm uh, and everyone had different like volumes on their mics yeah. and like people weren't like talking into their mic exactly. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it was, you know, I, I don't regret it because there were some laughs to be had, but like, yeah. and cause again, it was for charity, but like, boy, mm-hmm. there, there are experiences I do think are much better. Yes. You know, uh, personally. Yeah. 
Moving on to live questions here, we have Dan, uh, who has uh, two questions, but uh, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll throw them in. Uh, first one here, if you each had the opportunity to work on an upcoming title of your choice, what would it be and in what capacity or department would you work in? I love game soundtracks and uh, and the like, um, and the Skyrim soundtrack significantly more, significantly more than the game itself. Uh, so Elder Scrolls Six for me as the composer. So upcoming mm. game. You get to uh, be, be you get to be part of that, part of the team. Um, assuming, or I don't, it, may, it might be the X Men, the X Men Tactics game. What have you mm. here? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that, if that's that's not coming out, sadly, but I do basically have the entire pitch in my head, mm -hmm. um, and you could. It's it's basically done, people. <laughs> just hire me to to design it and give me some people, and it, it will happen. Yeah. Uh, so that that's really up there. Um, obviously, <clears> like. It would be fun to be brought in um, on Elden Ring stuff. Yeah. I don't think it will happen, though, because I, I, I do think that, like, you know, uh, us being comparatively cool on Sekiro kind of shows us being a little bit out of step with what that developer, like, ultimately wants. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just went through the Ring City very recently, and fuck, dude. Uh, <laughs> it is it is exactly as hateful as I remembered. Like, yeah. You know? Um, so that would be an answer if I just had unlimited power, but... Mm. You know, it's not realistic. I even hedge my wishes. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say X-Men Tactics or like it, whatever they decide to do um, something to recover from Fallout 76. Yeah. Like that game has enough name recognition. Like if they, if they hired me like, Hey, write this fucking ship. Mm -hmm. Like I think I would have a lot of, a lot of fun with that. Yeah. So. Um, for me, like I would be real cool to be brought on to like uh, the medium or scorn. Um, either of those new uh, kind of horror games coming out, one based on, uh, oh gosh, H.R. Giger, the other based on like the art style of, of Beksinski, uh, like to be mm -hmm. brought on as like a scenario, uh, so, like a scenario um, designer or uh, just kind of like incidental incidental writer for uh, for particular aspects of the lore world. I think it'd be real cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Scenario work on either of those would be fun. Yeah. Scenario work is a real good thing for our skill set is yeah <laughs> non-designer non-programmers yeah as somebody as somebody who's uh everything about me including my skills are soft uh <laughs> yeah exactly yeah as, as an all-purpose soft yes yes yeah. as a soft um yeah uh dan also asked additionally how much time do you spend speaking to each other when you're not recording zero <laughs> i mean like like that's, like that's no no i mean like like verbally we don't record everything we we talk about but usually when we when we talk and catch up it is um in what we call in the green room like prior to starting a show and then you know we talk to each other on slack to like coordinate stuff or like pass back and forth uh, it, like a lot of the times it's like a youtube endurance challenge that gary's sending my way <laughs> yeah yeah i like to say hey check this shit out yeah um yeah so like 20 you know several times a week for like 10, 20 minutes before yep. we get recording generally. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, you know, back in the days of live appearances and stuff, yeah, we would chat. But also one of the reasons I think that you and I work together is that like, we know when we're not on the show floor, it's like, Hey, we're going to go to our respective rooms and like shut the <laughs> fuck off. And it, there's no uh, discussion about it. It's just mm -hmm. kind of like, okay, I'm going in here. Oh, yeah. great. That's awesome. I'm staying in here. Cool. And then that's the, you know, <laughs> yep. no, no talk, no, no further words required. Yep. Well, we, we, we will meet at dinner. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. How about Let's it? Say two a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Greg says, uh, 
if something happened and you were unable to make either a full living from podcasting a Patreon or a drop down to a smaller level, what would your ideal job be in the real world to support yourself? This question is very depressing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a sad thought. I've thought about it before. Yeah. Um, I've thought one of my soft goals uh, for this whole venture in general is to engender enough faith in me that I could make a incredibly modest living mm -hmm. through people supporting whatever I wanted to do. Yeah. So if the network died and I could get, you know, enough people to follow me over to like the Gary Butterfield Patreon where I do YouTube videos or some version of this, mm -hmm. or I do music or something like that and could make like poverty wages Yeah. and then move to, you know, like go on Zillow and go for whole country and sort lowest to highest <laughs> and buy an auction property, mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and just like, yeah, I can get internet there and the, the mortgage will be $190 a month, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, which those kind of things exist. Mm -hmm. Um, I would do it yeah. before I would go like work at a Starbucks or a target, I think, mm -hmm. or try to get back into like, I, I did clerical stuff for universities. That was my, professional life before this i don't didn't like it yeah no. i don't want to do it anymore so i would still what anything i could do to stay independent yes basically uh, independence uh would be kind of necessary for me uh in in general my plan would be probably pretty similar to yours to to, to, to yours gary um but uh but yeah like i think that you know if if kind of direct funding and independence were not there i don't know probably just go back to agency work stuff like that get involved in animation again i have those skills it doesn't have to be nightmarish it just happened to be that the company that i worked for was awful so <laughs> yeah it happens yeah <laughs> the um and like I, we, i've talked about before like people sometimes take the trajectory we're in and become consultants mm -hmm. uh for game stuff and i think that'd be fun but yeah the uh the hustle like client work part of it like going yeah. and and you know, that part sounds really bad to me. So I'd have to collaborate with some people to do that. And that's not something I'd be against doing, but mm -hmm. yeah, it feels less sustainable than buying a condemned shack in Idaho. It sounds significantly more my speed yeah. is to uh, <laughs> take, sort Detroit on Zillow from lowest to highest <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> find, a, find a place uh with a uh, a non-working bathtub and yeah. just go to town, you know. <laughs> yeah, Gary, Gary's Gary's doing uh, he's 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 doing synth experiments in a Quonset hut outside of Duluth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, if you can patronize at twenty dollars, you get a uh, a weekly live stream of the hut. Yeah. I peel up one layer of the basement every every thousand dollars I get, yeah. and see what what's in the new strata, Shit, the Jello. Man. It, 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 on one of my driving routes that I do when I just feel like getting out of the house, there's a cool Quonset hut that I would love to live in. That'd be real cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, looking at, I don't know what it was. I've been having, um, the, uh, like a lot of nostalgia mm -hmm. and I've been, I was looking on Zillow, um, at my, uh, my hometown mm -hmm. just because I was like, it was basically like rent porn or yeah. mortgage porn, like, oh, like this, 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 you know, 2000 square feet, four bedroom house is selling for $76,000 because <laughs> right, DeKalb, yeah. Illinois, uh -huh. you know, because the, the, you have to live in DeKalb, Illinois bonus keeps getting higher and higher. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they had a bunch of these like condemned auction places that I had walked by as a kid. Oh, yeah. Like I would see this like creepy old shack in the middle of a copse of trees and 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 be like, oh, <laughs> like I wonder what's in there as a kid. And now I could buy it. Yep. And and actually solve that mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a really weird feeling. Yeah. Like that would be a strange thing to do, but I could find out what's in that house finally. <laughs> Is it bones? It's probably bones. Good bones. Probably bones. Yeah. Bones and old newspapers. That's my guess right now, but there's only one way to find out. It's winning this auction. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just gonna just gonna bid it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very it's very tempting. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, what, what, what you're describing is basically how I found my house, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you like, find yourself a shack. Yeah. You know? Uh, (laughs) moving on to media questions here uh callum says for gary i'm curious as uh, to the way that you play the iron kingdoms uh do you play within universe or homebrew unleashed or standard uh we have done all four okay in my gaming group uh when we played iron kingdoms uh, i've never run iron kingdoms just as a clarification my very good gm friend levi has always done it okay um he we've done the standard mode we did uh, Unleashed, and then we also, and then when we did the standard mode, we did it in the universe, and then also he did that Dark Souls hack, mm-hmm. which was Homebrew. Gotcha. So we've done both. Nice. And we've done all four. So, yeah, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew says, uh, what was the first non-pornographic nudity you recall seeing in media? Mine was the stripper popping out of the cake in Under Siege. I was about seven. Yeah, that that was Andrew's, not 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 yours, Gary. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. The 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 way the way that you said it. Or, oh, well, the way well, I said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the the yeah, way yeah. you said it made it sound like the, it was. It that was, was all the question. Yes, that was all the question. So Andrew was getting. Yeah, Andrew was, is the one who uh, saw the the stripper in Under Siege. Because mm-hmm. I did not. Yeah, um, I remember. So this this likely wasn't the first, but when I was a preteen horn dog, I remember going out to my. Um, my oh gosh my stepdad's movie room and pulling back like i remember hearing oh there's there's nudity in this movie called blade runner and i and i mm. and i opened it up and you know like there is a stripper character in that it's not straight you don't see everything that's cast in shadow but like i remember like just watching it like okay when's it gonna be here and then realizing oh this is actually like a really cool movie so so there yeah. we go <laughs> you know <clears throat> Um, I do not know if this is my first, but it has a surprising chance to be. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sounds like a comedy answer. It's not. Um, as a kid, uh, I liked the Howard the Duck movie a lot. And oh. there are some crusty feather tits. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that is the movie I liked as I, that is the oldest movie I remember that I liked that mm-hmm. I know had nudity. The other movies I know that I liked from that time are like Gremlins and Labyrinth and stuff. And yeah, was, uh, which were which were made for made for kids. You know what? I remembered yeah. one from earlier than that. I remember like I was probably like maybe seven or so, and my dad showed me Airplane, right? Because mm. uh, Airplane yeah. is a fun movie, basically like a live action cartoon or whatever. But like in the scene. In the scene where, you know, like they announce, (laughs) is there a pilot on the plane? And then everybody starts going nuts and it's complete bedlam. And to illustrate how crazy it is, there's a nun that like walks by with these gigantic swinging tits. Uh, I was like, whoa, that's surprising to me as a (laughs) seven-year-old. What are those? Yeah. 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 Probably airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, early nudity. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, Ironically, that was the last pair of tits I also saw. <laughs> well, you just, watch, just you just watched Airplane on TBS on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just assume that every time I see a pair of tits in real life, they're not covered with feathers; they're a different thing. Yes, that's that's, 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 not, the, that's not the same. Yeah, thing. You, like you, generally you, you gotta have those yeah fucking weird feathers. Weirdly, you imprinted on the duck. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my mom. It's, it's mommy. Uh, Michael says, Cole, thank you for hosting the Jackbox Game Nights. Since the first COVID one, I've hosted a weekly session for friends and family across the country. Uh, Gary, can you start reading reviews for Guppy and other places like Craigslist or something? Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, no. Because no. <laughs> uh, we don't know how to find them. If, no. if you sent them to us, we could. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I'm not going to troll Craigslist for No, that seems it. like a lot of work, actually. Yeah, we... Yeah, we say like do them wherever you want, but you still have to send them to us if you want to read them. And also, yes. you got to send them to Will. That's that is it's, it's his it's his tabulation. Yeah, Dallywick. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, Cinder Elf says, uh, "Just started a podcast. What are the early days of podcasting like? Uh, any tips for reaching like ten to a hundred active listeners?" Um, yeah, this is this is uh, something we we answered variations on this before, but mm. always happy to you know go over our tight three or whatever on advice for this are we are, um, are, are we interpreting what are the early days of podcasting like for for us or early days like both of us got started at the end of the aughts like what was it like podcasting um, then like what, what what interpretation are we going to take on that okay kind of, i mean like kind of both right yeah. mm-hmm. like it's like what our experience was once we dived in but also yeah. you know and it's not like you could probably get into like what is the first podcast horseshit stuff that yeah happens, no, i don't, really, I don't, I don't do care about that, that. Yeah. Um, the second bit first though, just cause it's really quick, mm-hmm. um, consistency, yep. super important, but out something at the same time every week, uh, for that, uh, have a hook for, for your podcast. Like the world has a lot of like, what if some, some white dudes talked about games, mm-hmm. uh, podcasts, we have a lot of those, yep. um, you know, have a, a unique selling point. Um, and then, uh, you know. That's that's and then keep keep doing that consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you put money into anything, do it a microphone. Yeah. Uh, microphones. You don't really need to though. Put very much money into it. Yeah. Um, you can take it at least like somewhat seriously. Like put in a you know a music bumper at the beginning and end. You know, try to try to make it sound okay. It doesn't need to sound yeah. perfect. Don't obsess over that. But like, do a little work on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, utilize existing communities. You know, uh, don't mm-hmm. be just absolutely craven about uh, craven is the wrong word. I always misuse that word. Uh, don't be shameless about constantly promoting everything, but, you know, kind of find you know communities you're already part of that will be interested about it, um, especially if you have, uh, you know, use them as kind of a test audience in your mind for the hook that you're developing. You know, mm-hmm. um, that, 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 that would that would be a big one as well. Um, and I would say, you know, really impress upon your listeners that they are your marketing, you know, just say like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. just the, <laughs> like literally, so d- yes, ratings or reviews are, are, are useful, but it'd be real cool if you like told some friends and stuff and just be, yeah. be real clear about like the, you know, what you expect and provide them with ideas, examples of, uh, you know, of, of what they could do to help. Yeah. And, and know that like a lot of times it just kind of doesn't doesn't happen like getting right. to like you know 10 to 100 is not unrealistic or difficult or anything like that but also like there's tons of luck involved you know yes. and and yeah. it is a different when we got started it, it was a different kind of scene mm-hmm. you know that's a segue right there that's yeah some, that's some segue mastery uh <laughs> so there are things that were easier for us uh than 
it would be now because it was obviously like less crowded. Yeah. Because uh, the trajectory for things is they get more crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also less independent than it is now. Like I think that at the time that we were getting into it, it was much more common for podcasts to have a organization or backing. Yes. Behind them. So being uh, independent could be a selling point mm-hmm. in a way that now it is less so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, back in the early days, it was, you know, I spent a, uh, just an inordinate amount of time thinking about and working on hosting solutions and stuff like that. Like that market was not necessarily as, you know, hammered down as it is now. Uh, now mm-hmm. you did, you know, just the, the, the idea of just like a site that you go to that has everything for you, you know, be it anchor or fireside, et cetera. Um, all of those are, uh, you know, more readily available. The technical side of it is not that big of a thing, you know, like you don't have mm-hmm. to like hook up with a network, you know, whose selling point to you is, you know, we will publish, we will publish your, your, your yeah, we will publish your episodes. Yeah. No, you can just do that because there are platforms there, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Be wary of that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of like, um, you know, there is some joy in like, there is like that you can cross pollinate and you can mm-hmm. solidify into a network, but like that does not, you know, necessarily, that doesn't automatically do something for you. Right. In terms of uh, listenership. Mm-hmm. And you can do that without getting into business bed. Yes. With somebody too, you could say like, Hey, like what if, uh, you know, I mentioned your, like, you know, don't try to make it fake. Right. Like, don't mm-hmm. be like, I just casually mentioned, be like, Hey, like this episode is brought to you by this podcast that does this. It's neat. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, and they do the same. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like, oh, we're part of the, like, you know, turbo leg, <laughs> you know, podcast network of shows that include blank, 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 and blank. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a real urge to do that, and it can mm-hmm. help, but it doesn't automatically help. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and if you want to get scared, you know, scared off of that real quick, just go, go look at, you know, the down the rabbit hole video about Channel Awesome, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. You'll get emails about it. Yes. About like, hey, I couldn't help. I was looking at your site. Cool site. I couldn't help but notice that you don't have this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we can do this for you. And it's like, well, you know, like any kind of thing, if they want money, it's probably fake mm-hmm. um, or probably shitty. And uh, also just, you know, read all your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but consistency is the big thing. Consistency, like take it kind of seriously and have uh, some kind of hook. Yep. So. Uh, let's move on to the lightning round before we get to our topic. Let's do. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Is this you or me? Uh, I think it is you. Yeah. Okay. This will be me. Uh, Joshua writes. This is uh, Joshua. Friend uh, of the show. Yeah. Friend of the show from uh, from Canaan Ritz. Says, mm-hmm. uh, been listening to your older WAF episodes on Final Fantasy Tactics after finishing the game for the first time recently. That game rules, by the way. Uh, couldn't help but notice a lot of discourse around eating the excess chocobos and their eggs throughout. Yeah, that sounds like us. Um <laughs> Uh, curious mm-hmm. to know if there are any other monsters or products of said monsters in games that you speculated about consuming. Cheers. I I wonder what anything tastes like, basically, yes. if it's an animal, uh, a non-human animal. I, I kind of don't care if it's sentient either. No. <laughs> like, I, I yeah, I want to know what a crunchling tastes like. Yes. You know, and they're, they're semi-sentient. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even things that are kind of gross, it's like I'm still kind of curious. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like Nemesis steak. 
<laughs> keeping yeah. keeping it in Final Fantasy, like the like the puddings and the flan, like like you you kind of they just taste like pudding. Yeah, maybe they're just big puddings. Yeah, yeah, you know. And it's like it's not like I'm I'm not you know I'm not going to eat lich. You're not going to eat a Marlboro. No, you're not. You know, because that's obviously. Yeah, you're not going to eat something that's obviously going to curse you. Yeah. Yeah. Not not looking to get cursed, but if it's just like an animal. Yeah. yeah. Like you know, a, like a, a pan fried cactor sounds like it'd be pretty good. You know. Totally. Yeah. Like you could like if you go to an authentic, you know, restaurant, you can get a cactor taco. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, and you can also get tongue and like all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. Um, on there, like, yeah, Lick like why tongue? not? I thought about eating like just man Pokemon would be fucking delicious. I, I, if I didn't already know that I don't like tongue, mm-hmm. lick a tongue would be great. But I mean, me and Brayden did a whole, like, which Pokemon is tastiest. Yes. Like thing. Like I, this is a consistent. Yeah. Uh, property. Even when I don't talk about it, mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder what that would be like if you ate it. Yeah. 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 We, I mean, we, we talked about it during Beholder Fest. We talked about just what, what it'd be like to slice one of these bad boys up and fry them. Apparently yeah, it'd be yeah. really bad. Like there was, there was a, like a sidebar in one of the books. Yeah. About it. Was a, yeah. Well, they're mostly eye. Yeah. You know, and thing. it's like, I, and people eat eyes, but I, I don't think I could cross that river. Like I, in fiction and stuff like this, like mm-hmm. anything that you can just turn into meat, yeah. I want to eat anything that is like an organ or an eye or a brain or a tentacle yeah. or something like that. I'm less into, mm-hmm. uh, but like just meat, like a yeah. lifetime of, of eating food that has been processed in a black box mm-hmm. has really warned me up to the idea of just like, yeah, you can make a nemesis steak. You can make a cactar steak. Yeah. You know, you can make a tonberry steak to, to the point where like the, the, the moral of the odd world's Abe's, Abe's Odyssey game didn't really like necessarily yeah. sink in for me. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe the new and tasty would be pretty new and tasty. It probably would be. Yeah. Like, there's no way emoticons don't taste good, dude. Right. They're psychic. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like they've got, they've got like psychic energy. I bet you that tastes like Pop Rocks on your tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when something's like psychic meat, like eating, like a, putting a Mew, like eating yeah. a Mew, mm-hmm. you know, or a Mewtwo. No. <laughs> Double the fun. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, like, it'd be like, it's like cheeseburger too. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the advanced evolution of it. You know, you have to go to certain Pokemon centers and scan a certain card. And to, <laughs> <to> get it. <laughs> Hi, I'd like this. I would like the sequel to cheeseburger. Oh, you mean they like a double cheeseburger? cheeseburger? Too, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I just picture like a know. four, like a four lobed bird. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> yeah, quad stack. <laughs> Uh, yeah. oh, man. Um, Benjamin says, if you could steal anyone's singing voice to have as your own, whose would it be? Uh, let's say I'll do uh, Jonathan Myberg from Shearwater. Yeah, that, that's a that's a tricky one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are lots of singers I like. Yeah. Uh, and for different reasons. Yeah, different different reasons. I, I think that uh, yeah, I think I sing too much to answer that question. Yeah, it would totally it would make Mozart a rip off band. <laughs> it, it would, yeah, you know? I suppose that would, that would also be the case. Well, you're stealing it as well, so one presumes oh, that the, 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 the other would yeah, the other would no longer yeah, exist. Yeah, I'd have to choose somebody who I don't like that much. Mm-hmm. I had to pick like a band where I don't like the band, but I like the singer a lot. Ooh, yeah, you know. Hmm. And if I could turn it on, if I could like use it whenever I want to, but switch back into Gary voice whenever I want, yeah. Macy Gray. Um, <laughs> but you are to do a very good Macy Gray, Gary. It's incredibly good. But <laughs> if I could do it as indistinguishable, like I could like get you know get fake college speaking engagements and stuff mm-hmm. uh, through through tricking them with my stolen <laughs> voice, 
<laughs> just go on the Macy Gray circuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do all the convention signing she does and stuff. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, Jesus. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, this will be me. Uh, Matt Bixler, hello, uh, writes, uh, what are some of your big rule exemptions when it comes to personal taste? For example, I find traditional JRPG, JRPGs to be a huge bore, but Earthbound is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say like the, the, I have that same experience with JRPGs. I loved mm-hmm. Earthbound, but it's not one of my favorite games of all time because no. I played it late. I like it. Um, big exception. Like I love, um, base, like I love like super baseball 2020. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big baseball game guy. That's a, yeah. that's a stock example, but that's definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm turned off by a lot of anime aesthetic and, you know, tropes and things like that, but there are particular works, uh, specifically like in visual novel kind of stuff that I am way into. Like I'm rewatching the Steins Gate anime right now in lieu of, um, in lieu of replaying the visual novels because Jala just finished Steins Gate Zero and she wants to talk about those. Um, so that is a big exception for me. Like the, the, the story of that kind of transcends the you know the, the 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 look i guess or the or their tro- or the tropiness yeah. of it same thing with like dang and rapa uh stuff like that how many times they explain schrodinger's cat uh, it doesn't it? it doesn't necessarily happen that much there <laughs> well just just two or three times per game <laughs> of course yes yeah, <laughs> yeah so like um, that, that, that that is an aesthetic uh an aesthetic that i am not necessarily a huge fan of um but uh but there are particular works in it uh that i that, that i'll make an exception for and I, I always forget this, but since I'm going through a real resurgence, mm-hmm. uh, I have so much affection for Left 4 Dead. Yeah. I don't like playing video games against other people, but I've been right. watching a Left 4 Dead tournament, uh, one game per night, and it's giving me big sports feels. Nice. Uh, really close uh, matches, and I'm like really excited about it. I'm going to record a DuckFeed <laughs> Presents about it once I've finished up the tournament, but it's like 32 you know, games and, and all the brackets and stuff, but incredibly fun. Is this it's like, like I have no interest in doing this. Right. Like... But as a spectator, you're getting like, are you invested in teams or is it? Yeah. Honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm still early on, so it's still, you know, but I've been picking a team. Like I, 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 we, I think we talked about this in like the Gary and Cole talk about sports, but mm-hmm. I don't understand how people choose team loyalties. Like other well, than well, just you're from there. Where you were born. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like where you're born. But since this doesn't factor that and I don't know their personalities, I choose mm-hmm. based on like logo. And then when they do the war rooms, which is when they, uh, they have, they go into their chat. Mm-hmm. during big moments um which people don't seem like douchebags and which teams have women on them yeah uh generally and those get my favor and then uh you know i've been following them it's been really fun mm-hmm. you yeah. know watched one last night and the team i liked uh lost by like just an incredibly small number of points yeah. in a real clutch kind of thing and i was like oh man i'm having an emotion about this that's fucking <laughs> weird nice mm-hmm um sean says if you could show hp lovecraft one current within the last 15 years uh horror movie what would it be uh get out oh that's a really good one <laughs> yeah. yeah no uh, i was I, I i i thought about this a lot and i don't know that i have a better answer a than that that's a very good answer uh but uh the lighthouse i would be very curious oh, sure. I'd be very curious to see how he would react to the vulgarity in that though would hp lovecraft be down with the idea of fucking a steak no <laughs> no he would not not in any not in any universe <laughs> would he be down for that so but uh it would still be you know i don't think he would like get out mm-hmm. 
you know, it doesn't have to do violence point. to a racist. Yeah. <laughs> is the idea here. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, let's hear Mark writes, what is your, uh, what is your vote for the best or your favorite Genesis RPG besides shadow run? Uh, the one that has my most nostalgia is fantasy star two, which mm. is like largely, uh, soundtrack based. Yeah. Um, I think that game is actually pretty bad. There are lots of mazes and teleporter mazes mm-hmm. and stuff, but I do have a lot of affection for that cast and characters and the soundtrack absolutely bops. Yeah. Uh, Genesis was never a, um, was never an RPG, uh, an, an RPG system for me. So I would either have to sideload a, uh, 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 you know, one of these, like what was the, the, the star, not star command, star command, star control, star flight, star flight. Yeah. Whatever, whatever we, uh, sideloaded into the toe jam and Earl episode, um, yeah. or fantasy star four, because those are like literally the only, the only two things that could qualify outside of shadow run that I have played. Would be, you know, would be stuff for the show. If Starflight counts, I would choose Starflight. Yeah. But that's that's a weird genre. Very, very much so. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I do have more affection for Fantasy Star 2 than 4, even though 4 is a better game. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott says, I've never played an adventure game, but would like to try one. What would y'all recommend for a newcomer to the genre? Uh, that's, a, that's a tricky question. Yeah. Like, cause there's a lot of, uh, similar to like, that's one of those genres that has a lot of, uh, kind of tropes and hallmarks that I think are conventionally kind of bad game design. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're absolutely new to them and you are talking about like classic style ones, I would steer you away from Sierra and toward LucasArts because, you know, they're not going to punish you. You're not going to get, yeah. you know, deaths. You know, that's not going to be there to discourage you. But, like, I would not point somebody directly to, like, Monkey Island 2. I would say, hey, maybe try Monkey Island 1. Or do, like, Thimbleweed Park. So I thought about that. Thimbleweed Park is hard. But it's got that, it's got an easy mode. And it's got that hint system. Yeah, yeah. You can just call that number whenever you want and get hints. Like, an Mm -hmm. in-game hint system is a real big, uh, something that I think I would really like if I was still, if I was just learning adventure game logic. Because, like, my uh, temptation would be to say, like, The Walking Dead, like, a no mechanics, please, mm-hmm. game. But that doesn't really, I don't feel like that, like, that is an adventure game, but it's mm-hmm. not teaching you very much about the genre. No, no. It's, I mean, yeah. it, it is teaching you about a transition away from mechanics and adventure games. Yeah. Like, it is, it is kind of not founding a new genre, but, you know, becoming an apotheosis of that. Um, yeah. uh, you could do, like, Monkey Island 1 and just know that if you get stuck, just... Give your, you know, set it a limit. Like I want to chew on this problem for a half hour. Yeah. And once you chew on the problem for a half hour and you want to see more of the game, mm-hmm. just look up the solution and then try to backwards think about how the solution, like how the developers might have expected you to come at that solution. Yeah. And that will teach you adventure game logic enough to be like literate in the genre. Yeah. I well, think. you could do, um, you could also do, um, the, like the deluxe version of those because that has a hint system built into it as well. Oh Yeah. 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 And Universal Hint System is awesome. Yes. Uh yeah. for adventure games. Mm-hmm. So that that'll also teach you kind of the the language of yeah. those puzzles. Oh, uh here's here's another one that that I would say it depends on if you have any affection for the uh for the property, but the Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people, uh the Telltale the pre-Walking Dead Telltale game about the Homestar Runner universe, the those are very good entry points. Those are like those have good fun um adventure game puzzles and if you have any affection for those characters and stuff like that'll keep you going along i think yeah Yeah. nice uh 
a ni- nice spread. Yeah. There. Oh, just two more lightning rounds. We'll get to mm-hmm. the topic. Yeah. Um, I think this is you. Okay. Uh, Ian says, what is your go-to burrito choice? Boy, um, haven't had a burrito in a while. Oh, man. I would kill for a burrito. I love a burrito. Like, I just don't. Uh, I'm on. I'm uh, trying to eat better. Yeah. And also, uh, there aren't a lot of places nearby that have really good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Port- Portman, probably not necessarily a very good burrito town. It's not a bad burrito town. I just don't. Uh, there's none near me. Mm. Like, uh, there's a place nearby that has the absolutely unfortunate name of Tight Tacos Ugh. that opened. Yeah. That's yeah, ghoulish. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, it sucks. Um, <laughs> that place actually has really good burritos. And I had one burrito from there, but then COVID happened. So I've right, not, right. Uh, been back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good. Like, they make the they fresh make the tortilla, like, as you get the burrito. Oh, damn. So yeah. that's really good. Um, so I don't know, like some kind of like steak, mm-hmm. steak, sour cream, uh, fajita fixins. Yeah. The fajita vegetables are necessary. I prefer black yeah. beans to pinto. Yeah. Same. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I will either do steak or I will, I like a, uh, like a carne asada or a barbacoa, like a, like yeah. a, like a good, like shredded braised, uh, kind of, uh, kind of thing, you know, with lots of moisture and flavor. I think that's always very mm-hmm. good. I also uh, really like a breakfast burrito oh like, yeah like a scrambled egg mm-hmm. burrito quite a bit like that's a good way to launder eggs into your body mm-hmm. uh and... if, if you are a person who does not just fry up an egg and eat it like you know yeah. me <laughs> like i cannot eat a plain egg i cannot eat an un, unadorned that, egg that is so weird <laughs> i just don't like the texture okay yeah you know I it's like even if i get a breakfast with them i, I mix it in with potatoes or toast or mm-hmm bacon or anything that's with and then it fixes it it's good flavor it's just kind of weird it's very soft yeah yeah you know? it's like yogurt but it comes out of an animal <laughs> oh, <yogurt. laughs> hey gary hey gary yeah. what do you think yogurt's made of <laughs> oh i'm not a scientist okay um the uh, so the, uh onto uh says uh what is keeping you sane during these uncertain times what is giving you hope? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, buddy. Yeah. I don't live in the, the realm of hope. Yeah. Uh, that's not the, uh, not the kind of thing I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think about the future very often uh, uh, in a general sense. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. I, 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 I have stopped thinking that anybody is going to help us. Um, yeah. I, 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 I do not mean to be cavalier about this or like if anybody is actually feeling, you know, I don't want to make anybody feel worse. Just look at my Twitter to see how, how I am dealing with this. So like my actual life has not changed very much from the way that it was before. So I'm lucky in that regard. But like when it comes to just it, it, any idea that, you know, from the actual disease to itself to how the Great Depression that's going to result is going to be handled. I have I I do not see any I do not see any ripcord that can be put can be pulled. There is no way out. We're going to step on every single rake and there is going to be a human cost coming out of it. Yeah. And all I can do is hope and pray. You know, yeah. which is a crazy thing for somebody who doesn't believe in God to say to but just yeah. hope and hope and pray that it will not yeah. hurt the people that I care about. <laughs> yeah. No, no faith in leadership. Yeah. Uh, at all. And, uh, no faith in meaningful leadership change. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So it's like, I try to stay right sized about it because, uh, I'm very lucky mm-hmm. and I will probably be okay. Yep. 
you know, um, I just care if other people aren't okay. Yes. And that's not true of everyone. I'm not saying that the virtue signal, it's just kind of like no, some people don't, no. you know, just don't, uh, just don't think about that that often. And I do, mm-hmm. uh, and it makes me very sad. And yeah. I spend a lot of time, you know, you plug into the internet and it's like a weird bad news hose mm-hmm. of just like, hey, these idiots are in charge and these people are dying and people are trapped on cruise ships and they're throwing themselves in the ocean rather than, you know, mm-hmm. uh, spend another minute. And there's all this just like flood of just uh, fiction, like atrocities that feel like fiction. Yes. Uh, that I know are true. Mm-hmm. And you know. uh, the only way that I've been able to operate in that water is to... Uh, limit my time thinking about the water I'm in mm-hmm. um, and not think too much about the future of the water. Yes. Um, and definitely try not to think about the tub slowly draining around us, which is yeah, yeah. what is happening. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's wild times, you know, and, it, and a lot of people see that and there is a way to like, this is a weird thing where like, you know, usually I invent a straw man, when I'm feeling defensive about something. And mm. this is something where I think that if some of the straw man's like, you're overreacting, like probably, yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah, maybe, you know, like maybe a little bit, uh, I I'm open to the idea. Um, I, I would be very time, happy to also, be overreacting. Like it'd be awesome. if, if the reality was you know? better than what was in my head. Fuck. Yeah. But it's a weird thing where it's like, you know, I, I'm like, if I'm, I'm like halfway through with my life, if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that is a weird blessing because I do feel like things might get worse and I might miss it. Yeah. Like I might get miss as bad as it gets mm-hmm. in terms of like climate stuff and things like that. And that is a weird, profoundly selfish thought to be like, I'm glad I won't have to deal with that because I will be dead. Yeah. Uh, but it is a real feeling mm-hmm. that I have of just being like, man, you know, fuck that. That sounds awful. Yeah. You know, don't want to do that. Yeah. So. Oh, that's, that's no. fun, right? That's. That's a good, good answer. Was, I say, yeah, no, I, I definitely, not, not Blake, I, you know? I, 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 you know, I, I, again, I, I worry that we would have made somebody's day worse through this than, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, than better, which is what I, you know, try not to do. But all I can think about is like, we, everybody was real concerned about it, but the second it became apparent that the people who were most vulnerable to this were the people who were already just the most vulnerable anyway, namely, you know, black and brown communities and the poor. Uh, and then all of a sudden the, powers that be you know the current administration deciding oh we can just like let them die because we didn't care about them anyway so let's just yeah. open let, let her rip baby um yeah it's it's fucking it's, bleak. It's, it's it's fucked it, it is it is yeah. as bleak as possible um yep. you know uh, and it is just not something i know it, it, it is tragedy at a scale that i do not know how to process um yep. and processing and... it a little bit at a time actually doesn't necessarily work because you know uh you pick a small thing and say all right i'm going to try and understand this all that does though every small piece you try and grab off of this just immediately balloons you know yeah it's deeper than you think and it, it connects to more things yeah and uh you know not necessarily saying anyone listening to this will do this but save the it's always been that bad you naive fucks yeah kind of shit like i i always get frustrated by that response because it's mm. like so what you know uh, like what what next yeah you know know. oh you've proven that that uh i was not as plugged into the state of the world when i was 30 yeah than i am now congrats Mm -hmm. you know you you win you 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 proved a a thing about me uh from before but uh, you know at the same time it's like yeah it it is uh it is sanity blasting Mm -hmm. uh in a way that uh feel the enormity of it is very difficult yeah and Everybody's you know. got different ways of doing it. So I guess the actual answer to the question is, 
is limiting my time thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, limiting my distracting myself. So like when I get, you know, oh, this is fucking bleak and I feel horrible about it. If I can tear myself away from touching the stove, yeah. Um, what will engage me fully for a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, like what can I do that requires some concentration and will get my brain off of this? Yeah. No, that's I, I, I would agree with that. I think that it, it is, you know, when everything is tied into this and related to it, you know, everything is related to why everything is fucked right now. Um, anytime you look outward ends up being a problem. You know, I would say, you know, either distract yourself or try and, you know, focus on how the people close to you are doing and try to make, you know, if you do need to feel like you are doing something for other people, uh, focus on impacting those closest to you or, you know, directly around you because you're not going to be able to help everybody. So, or or choose a population, even if it's not close to you. Yeah. Like choose a subset. Like Mm -hmm. the answer to sanity in these situations is always constrict your circle a little bit. Yeah. You know, and, and that sounds like a, like a, cowardly way out and i always feel a little bit like i'm letting myself off the hook doing it but it is i think the only way forward like yeah you know so you can say like like i feel like doing something i'm gonna try to raise some money for these people or i'm gonna donate to this thing Mm -hmm. um you can say i feel like doing something i'm gonna text all of my friends and make sure they're all right and see if i need to like drone strike them some toilet paper yep or whatever. Like you can yep. do things like that and feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You can't just sit down and be like, Hey, in the past and the future and present, our systemic response to this has just been <laughs> absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing you can affect. No, you know, I have no power over that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I increasingly feel like I have no power over that, even in terms of the ways I explicitly have power over it, like in like voting and such. Like, I just like, you know, do I think that, uh, you know, a uh, JYD, you know, Libgood mm. would have handled this a little bit better? Yeah. Probably. But it wouldn't have, like, then there's all the other stuff I know about now that, yeah. I mean, that the... would have still been going on that equally counts. Like, all lives mm-hmm. count. Yeah. You know? You like, know? That, oh, that was very close to saying all lives matter. What I mean <laughs> by that is, it's not just the people dying from this plague. Mm-hmm. All of the, you know, people who are dying of systemic oppression before this also matter. Mm-hmm. Like they all yeah. count all the brown people that we bombed uh, for no particularly good reason. Yeah. Uh, in general for my entire life. Yeah. Uh, they all count. Mm-hmm. They're all people with ha- hopes and dreams and families and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And, you yeah. know, additionally, like, uh, you know, when it comes to like the voting kind of thing, like, I don't know, one of the things that really is bumming me out about this is that we have fallen into the same pattern of, you know, just very short-sighted politicization of it see the culture war fight over masks or whatever that would not have been any better in fact would have been worse if we had you know somebody who was nominally on our team or you know wore our team's branding you know in in, in there you know like people would still you know they would be more insistent on you know killing everybody around them um like if you had obama in the white house telling everybody to wear masks the no mask parties mm-hmm. would be way more horrendous and spread way more disease than they do now. Yeah. And that is not me you saying know? that it is a good thing that Trump is in the office. Please do not represent it as that. Yeah, yeah. Just like the levers of power that we have, you know, if we voted in somebody who was competent, like a competent response response would still have the same backfiring that is happening right now. Yeah. Uh, perhaps more. And, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, perhaps more. Because it's all pretty bleak. Because our country is but, broken. <laughs> like yeah. it's a very very broken people. Yeah. Uh, and culture war stuff is really exhausting. Yeah. Uh, and I say that even as somebody who participates in it from time to time. Yep. So that's a, that a comprehensive answer. I think so. Um, the, uh, moving on lightning to a fun rounds. topic. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. That was the lightning round. Um, went by so quick. It's the lightning round from the Simpsons go to Japan episode <laughs> where it's not the lightning round or it goes quicker. Oh, it burns. It burns the, uh, where the skunk comes down. Mm-hmm. My name is wink. Uh, I, I like that. That's a late Simpsons by which I mean solidly in the first third of the show. Yeah. It's like season I think 10, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's still pretty funny. I like America Town a lot. Um, we've talked it over. Yeah, we've talked it over. Yeah, it's very funny. And the, the uh, Osaka fish concern, uh-huh. uh, also very funny. Jeez. Uh, um, yeah, so this uh, this question that we're going to do for our topic sounds like it's initially just super depressing and we're continuing. <laughs> we're not. It transitions into a more general thing that is not nearly as bleak. So right. please bear with us Yeah. Uh, here. Uh, Do you want to read Brendan's question? Yes, I will. Uh, So Brendan writes for our topic question here. Reading about a character who struggles with depression and self-harm or mourning can help some people with those challenges, myself included. Despite the possibility space being limited, games will have way more interaction options than a book. And 99% of the time, taking player control away is the pits. Um, the ending of Dear Esther could have had a much greater impact if the makers had not taken control away. Except, what if instead of a lack of trust, it was hand-holding? Hey, you've gotten this far. Let's help you across the finish line. It's going to be okay. Um, I'm uncertain, since letting the player be the one to make the last choice might indicate they're moving past it emotionally. Um, is there a place for taking control away from a player if it helps, not forces them through the through difficult material an optional toggle uh could it work in mainstream games or would it belong strictly in a therapy genre uh is there a game that might have benefited more from more subtle uh, from a more subtle guiding hand uh thanks for reading this hope you're staying safe thanks brendan yeah um i think that before we get into it we should separate uh or like declare some terms uh always we'll always put up the fences uh, be- yeah uh, the, the, I mean, I don't even think this is a defense. I think that just uh, you know, the last question, like, is there a game that could have benefited from a more subtle guiding hand? Mm-hmm. You know, what we what we don't want to talk about is games that over tutorialize or what have you. Yes, like one thousand percent, there are that. This is a very specific question about um, difficult material, mm-hmm. like in a game, and uh, a general question about when it's good to take control away from the player. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's not uh, tied into you know, the guidance of a game in general and teaching you to play it, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. To me, I think of this as separate from that. Mm-hmm. When is it good and when is it bad for the game to take control away from you, to yeah. to put something into a cinematic? Yeah. Yes. And, and specifically, when and how can that be used or viewed in terms of, like, specifically challenging mm-hmm. uh, material? Yes. You know, which is kind of the, the more specific question to kind of move and we can radiate outward from mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, I, I respect like the idea behind this. I feel like this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, part of making something a game is that you want the player to do that action. Yes. You know, you want them to do that. So it's hard for me to think of it as a helping hand because like, I think that the kind of 
gets rid of like having encouragement or what have you mm-hmm. in that situation can can work in that way. And they're like shades of Celeste in that. Yeah. But having it just be like, oh, the game just takes, you know, jumps you off the cliff in Dear Esther, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, what happens in Dear Esther. And it's a problem I have with Dear Esther yeah. is like it undermines the game part of it. Yeah. You know, I switched, I shifted gears into cutscene mode. I didn't feel like, hey, you made it this far. Let, let, let me take the wheel mm-hmm. for a minute. I just felt like I reached the end of the video game. And I don't know how much of that has to do with like the semiotics of games, like that being a lifetime of video games and associating like, oh, the camera, I don't control the camera anymore. Time to step back and mm-hmm. disengage myself even, you know, at least a little bit Yeah, from this. You know, like specifically in the, in the case of Dear Esther, you know, it kind of felt like the conclusion of that ought to have been, and, you know, in, in any of these really, um, you know, the game shows you <laughs> like it, like it, like it shows, it shows you that it is always going to lead to this and to quote, end it to get the ending, the game developer, you know, puts out like it, 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 it needs to, it needs to compel that action, you know, n- you know, n- not directly. Right. And I think that, you know, I, I, I like, I like dear Esther, you know, like that, that's a, an experience that I derived a lot from, but I also, you know, am, bummed out that they did take that agency away from you because you know they don't have to build in two endings like it doesn't have to be like you know you step forward and mm-hmm. you get you get the one that they otherwise you know would force you into or you walk back down and then it gives you like a like a happy ending that was you know never going to come because of because of the story or the many stories that are going to built into that um you know but like the ending ought to be either i step forward or i close the game <laughs> like yeah. I, you know like turning off the game and stopping playing in that instance would be a conclusion to it yeah yeah like uh, like definitely i could i could see that as you know and the, the game didn't really truck in that kind of stuff right you know and like oh the only way to win is not to play stuff but it could have yeah you know like dear Esther is an interesting example because that was the first game by that studio and it was made on a small budget and it was you, originally you a have no idea yeah yeah it was originally a mob like you have no idea what was a product of artistic intention and what was a product of constraint, mm-hmm. you know, with it, like maybe they would have liked to have had you jump over the cliff, but in playtesting, nobody did it Yeah, and they couldn't find a way to direct you to do that. Mm-hmm. So they just said, this is the ending of our story. This is how it ends. Yeah. You know, so we have to do that. The, the read that Brendan has is very charitable, like, Hey, let's help you out. But it's also like you jumping off a cliff. Yeah. It's like, not that's, like that, a... that feels a little weird with the, like, Hey, let me help you cross the finish line and getting over this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't feel like the story of that, that yeah. game to me. And it feels like it would, you know, it it just, it, it does take away. It, it it takes the power away from it by, you know, making it not your, your choice. Additionally, like, I don't know them helping you over it. It kind of seems like helping you would be dragging you through a tough moment to, you know about be- like a better conclusion than what than what you get there like yeah hey, you it's, know, so ble- it's, it's like, like a really downer it, it's 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 incredibly bleak and you know one one can say like is that you know i, I guess I'll, I'll i'll retake that right there um <laughs> there might be it might be worth some hemming and hawing or somebody more qualified than me asking the question or trying to answer the question like is that it it, it is is that a good way to depict suicide you know like was yeah. that actually like you know uh, it respectful was that and worth doing? accurate and yeah. yeah 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 was that was that yeah um and you know in terms of like specifically difficult material in terms of like 
you know, not challenging, like Celeste challenging, but challenging, mm -hmm. like intense yeah. uh, material. It's hard for me to think of how that would work. You know, if, if the idea, like, you know, you're playing the cat lady or you're playing Silent Hill 2 mm -hmm. and you're knee deep in really, really dark psychosexual themes, mm -hmm. uh, the game, you know, that game is about getting over something, but they tend not to have a triumphant outlook yeah. to them. You know, so one of those games being like, here, let me help you mm -hmm. by, by wresting control away from you would feel contrary to the intent. Mm-hmm of the game. Like most games, I think, uh, secretly are cheering you on, but present is very neutral. Yeah. You know, they're not, uh, super liminally about helping you get over something. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the kind of thing that Brennan is talking about probably should be in like, you know, games for change, like kind of therapy games, you know, therapy genres is how he puts it. But mm -hmm. you know, that kind of, uh, like your, like your dear Esther's, you know, or things like that. Like not that you should always do it, mm -hmm. but it makes more sense in that than it does in a genre piece that also trucks in deeper stuff. Yes. You know, and it, and it, you only in like really only in those kind of games, do you find the kind of positivity and brightness of message mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, you fucking did it. Yeah. You know, that, that's pretty rare mm -hmm. uh, in games, which is part of why I think people responded so strongly to Celeste. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? You know, and like the other examples of this where, you know, the game does, you know, take control away from you, you know, because of the games that I play, I am thinking about, you know, horror, you know, where it is specifically mm -hmm. about something terrible being being inflicted on you when your character, when your avatar and therefore you oftentimes in the point of view, you know, are locked into a situation that you cannot get away from and somebody or something has complete control over you. You know, yeah. see uh, Outlast Whistleblower for an example of mm -hmm. something so rough that it, like, made me physically ill. Um, mm -hmm. See, um, I don't know, weird example. It's not really a game that I've played beyond just, like, <laughs> doing a cheat to get to that scene. But Quake 4, when you go through the first-person strogification, you know, mm -hmm. like taking your taking your control away is a good is a really good way to, you know, to, to, to bring horror into the equation. You know, to completely depower you. I really like degrees of horror. Yes. Being taken away. Like, I think that it, it can be really strong where you have a character who can uh, struggle but not succeed. Like the, the uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare nuclear blast scene, right? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, or, I mean, just a, this is a, not the best example because it's not a game dealing with uh, any you know, any of these themes really, but like mm -hmm. in, in like a resident evil game, you get downed and you press, you know, you hold away from the monster, mm -hmm. you know, it's going to catch you, but you try to get away. Yeah. You know, um, you attempt, uh, control being gradually taken away at the end of crisis core. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that kind of stuff can be really strong, but you need a transitional state because mm -hmm. when it just switches to now, here's a cutscene. Yeah. You know, now your character is just moving on their own for any significant <laughs> period of time. It's really hard to feel any kind of investment. Right. Like, I think that, you know, I mean, it's not just me being like, you know, Gary play first Butterfield, but like, it just, it's time, even if I'm still very invested in the story and I'm really mm -hmm. enjoying the cutscene, yeah. it's a little bit of checkout because I don't have to do anything. <laughs> right. You know, I just like, oh, it's like, oh, my hands can stop. And it just... I think that even for people who are really invested in the story, parts of your brain deactivate. Yeah. Like you can enjoy that 
feeling and mm-hmm. you can love it and you can really really dig that in games but it definitely <laughs> turns off a part of your brain i think yeah um and also trying to have your cake and eat it too causes uh let's say some just really bad anti-patterns or like let's say uh compensatory mechanics that ruin entire decades of the medium say like qtes yes (laughs) right okay we do not want your uh that part of your brain to turn off so we're still going to take away your agency in the play right whereas you know this is still going to be a cutscene. but what if we could punish you for not paying attention yeah yeah that kind of shit sucks or like um boy the the more positivist example of that is the button mashing you can do in summons in final fantasy (laughs) nine you know like don't check out because you'll, uh-huh. you'll have a mechanical, you know, and that sucks so bad. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's so, you know, like, and if you were just playing an unrelated game of like Parappa the Rappa <laughs> during that, it would be better, but it still also sucks. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, it's a weird thing. Like figuring out how to detransition or to do a gray area for that is something that games have not been great at. No. Like take away some control. And when it happens, when it works, I do really like it. Right. Mm-hmm. Those examples. But you were right in that, like sloppily splitting the difference fucking sucks mm-hmm. um, well, especially the, the, the when other it's way like, to sloppily split yeah. the difference is to get the uh is to get the oh god flooded district in dishonored or to get the you know any level in max pain where they take your weapons away uh yeah you know like oh we're going to depower you and then force <laughs> force you through a very difficult section um you know in a mode of play that we have not uh ever required of you before or we've not built this game around yeah and that can be done well, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can do a depowering segment just fine. Yeah, yeah. And you can do it to tell it, like make a point, right? Like I think about um, the scene in uh, Hotline Miami. Yeah. When you when you go to the hospital and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this like, this controls like shit and I can't shoot. <laughs> and it's, but it's short. It's only a couple levels. It's taking away a degree of control to make a point. Yeah. You know, I think that like the, the general takeaway of this is that like, Taking away control is something that you should do with intentionality. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like if you you don't have to do it to make a point, you can do it just to do exposition, which is usually what happens, right? Yes. Like control is taken away because some characters are going to talk and we don't want to have a half-life situation where you're just trying to get up on the highest shelf in the room while people are discussing mm-hmm. important stuff, you know? Uh, so that's fine. But the best ways to do it, the ways that feel the most helpful uh, in terms, it's not so much like the developer giving you a leg up to help you get over a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's a developer being like, here, pay attention to this. Yeah. Contrast it with what came before and after. Mm-hmm. This will help you get the point yes. of the game. Like in Hotline Miami, it helps you get the point. Yeah. I think is the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and getting and, and getting back to, you know, do we, you know, if, if the intention is to, is, is to kind of like force you as the player and as the avatar through something that is very difficult that you would not willingly do. I mean, my, my kind of response to that would be yes. If that is, if that is the point of what you're trying to, of what you're trying to make. Okay. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't know. There are probably things you can do to invisibly guide. You can put up the rails. You can close doors behind the player. You can build in more motivation. You can, you know, nudge them you know, even, you know, visually you can (laughs) like redesign the weird scaffolding that you're on at the end of dear Esther to make, to make the conclusion, you know, know. even if that literally just closed behind you, like every time you turned your back, you couldn't go further back down. Mm -hmm. 
that's really effective. It fits the metaphor. Yes. Um, that they're going for. Like it is, uh, even at its best taking control away directly feels like it is a compromise mm-hmm. and is not the most elegant solution to what you're trying to do. Yes. And that even plays for like when I was mentioning, you know, cutscenes where they have to give exposition and stuff like mm-hmm. characters telling me a story is my least favorite way that a game can convey information to me. Yes. I would much rather have that be incidental dialogue or dialogue I opt into mm-hmm. or environmental storytelling or signage or things I pick up and read or anything mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Than just like, here watch these two characters talk yes um you know it feels a little bit like a failure of imagination it doesn't mean it's always damning mm-hmm. and there are no reasons to ever do it but it doesn't uh i think that it is gone to too frequently yes um also just petty annoyances taking away my uh <laughs> taking away my control to show the characters doing something that i could have done in play mm. that's really frustrating yeah it's really frustrating or, like i i don't know i would have liked to have done that fight please <laughs> I I really hate it when uh, they take away control to show a way, way cooler version of what you can do. Yep. <laughs> and then you immediately just, like, fall on your face. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid. Like, the example I always think about that is the uh, mandatory cutscene that plays every time you get into the Batmobile in Arkham Knight. Yeah. You know, and it just shows this, like, awesome, like, you know, car commercial for the Batmobile. And then I immediately just hit a tree that won't fall down for some reason. <laughs> because it's a tree like, in a video so game. St- yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tree in a video game. Trees don't fall down. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Yeah. Like why, what is the point of this cutscene? You took away control for me when you could have just had me jump in the car mm-hmm. and, uh, and go, you know, yeah. and it is clinging, you know, you're not helping me. You're not doing anything other than trying to look cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that's a terrible reason to do something in a game. <laughs> to, absolutely. To cool. like, because it looks cool. It's like, you could, you know, have your player character do something that looks cool. Mm-hmm. Great. Showing a cutscene of people looking cool. Very rarely a good look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the player or for an enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why in my X-Men tactics game, I'm not going to have uh, Colossus when you join up just like single-handedly body the juggernaut to show how cool he is. No. I'm not going to fall into that trap, you know? Yeah. So Common juggernaut's going to be a fun boss battle where you have to use everyone's abilities together. Mm-hmm. To get sequence. that fucking helmet off of them. Get the helmet off. Yeah. Nightcrawler, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's all about, about it. I think so. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Brennan. Thank you. Uh, Brennan actually wrote that on a comment, I think, on last month's dispatch. I was like, hey, write that in again. Gotcha. Uh, so we get it. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, let's read some responses. Let's do that. Um, uh, starting here with Hypnospace Outlaw. Mm-hmm. People see. came out in force. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, I did, so just to clarify something at the top here, I did have to jettison some of the responses because a lot of you came in. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, uh, jettison is the wrong word. Um, I had to omit some responses. So yeah, it's pronounced Jetson. Jetson. I had to jetson some responses. Yeah. We had yeah. to Jane stop this crazy thing. Those responses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will Will next month's crop of games elicit the same passion? The obscure adventure <laughs> game uh platformer and uh game i'm finding out like a lot of people think is a lesser portable castlevania even though i am loving it what weird yeah Uh yeah yeah it's really surprising like a surprising number of people like oh yeah that's solidly in the bottom half of portable castlevanias and i'm like what the fuck dude how how can it be in the bottom half (laughs) weird yeah i don't it's good but yeah people some people don't like it um so uh andrew says via contact 
I immediately played through Hypnospace Outlaw after listening to the first few minutes of the episode. Thank you for recommending this fantastic and surprisingly melancholy game. It's not an unpopular, opin- un- unpopular opinion to say that the internet sucks now and has for a while. So much of the nostalgia for the Web 1.0 days uh, comes from that longing for, pre-social me- for a pre-social media era of weird, handcrafted web pages. Uh, but this game, while seemingly an exercise in nostalgia at first, doesn't shy away from the grosser aspects of the web back then either. How then, just as much as now, the internet has always been a place where misinformation and cruelty existed alongside community and creativity. But for every homophobic Zane page hack, uh, a moment in this game that hit me hard as a gay dude, there were wonderful little gardens of use, uh, uselessness like Ashley's Spinning Planets, pages made just for the sake of making pages. We all need more chaff like that in our lives. Agreed. Gary, have you heard about Neo Cities? Uh, no. I can um, kind of surmise what it might be. But. Yeah, no, it's just uh it is it is a free platform for making GeoCities-like sites, but with kind of like modern backend kind of stuff. I'm real tempted to redo Colross.com and NeoCities. So yeah, it's, that sounds fun. Yeah, I like the idea of that quite a bit. <laughs> Gary Khan writes on via contact saying, "There's a moment a moment I love in media where something happens and I immediately have to stop, walk away from it, and spend 15 minutes pacing around my kitchen." digesting what happened it only happens when there are characters i recognize and care about a world that has absorbed me into it and a personal stake in the in that world for me hypnospace outlaw absolutely triggered that feeling for me in a way that is still memorable and satisfying a year later i could write an essay here listing all the little details i love about this game but none of us have the time for that suffice to say the developers did a wonderful job creating nostalgic uh, a nostalgic world full of characters i recognize from my own online life and told a story about how online communities shape themselves and how the owners of those communities fail them in a way that is uh, still applicable today as platform holders create half measure policies that are harmful to society as a whole I really loved this game. It's got a lot of the right kind of heart, and I'll be right there for whatever the developers do next. No, same. Yep. Uh, Jerry Khan uh, sponsored the episode. Yes. Just as a reminder. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot Um, of the right kind of heart is a good way to put it, I think. Really good way to put it. Yeah. I think. Uh, Jay says via contact. Hypnospace Outlaw is the most recent and a continuing trend among narrative games that I've played where the insistence on having actual gameplay actively detracted from the overall experience. As an interactive art installation where several fun and funny real-life internet artists have created a tribute to and a parody of Web uh, Web 1.0 and its and it's exquisite, delivering both actual jokes and actual narratives that are charming and compelling beyond evoking nostalgia for the days of dial-up internet and GeoCities homepages with embedded MIDI music. When it closes the spigot of new con- content and requires you to engage in the increasingly archaic lateral thinking puzzles before it opens back up again, it's hard not to become bored or frustrated and find the once delightful realm of hypnospace now feels like a prism, where the novelty and charm wears thin as you scour the same pages for the third, fourth, and even fifth time, looking for some clue you missed or a new piece of content to report. The early game shows narrative promise with the idea of putting you in the shoes of an internet moderator and having to choose between your principles and the happiness of users or enforcing the rules uh, and getting more internet fun bucks to spend at the expense of an increasingly rebellious and angry user base. But sadly, instead of going in this direction, the game devotes most of its playtime to solving ARG puzzles and piercing together a far-reaching conspiracy that anyone with an ounce of genre savvy will immediately guess the outcome of uh, the moment 
brain computers, hackers, and Y2K are introduced with plot points. I almost wish that the entire game uh, was just the mode you unlock after completing the story where you're given full access to the archives and your goal is a Her Story-esque mission to find and catalog everything inside at your own leisure. Because at that, at the end of the day, when it comes to pure aesthetics and mood, uh, this is streets ahead of games like Broken Reality and Secret Little Haven that like to pull from the same influences and inspirations. Uh, yeah. I strongly disagree with that. Yes. Um, yeah. I like the puzzles um, I, a lot. I, I, I feel like yeah, the, I like puzzles the puzzles were necessary to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It made me engage with the material in a way that I, I would not have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I go back and forth on how uh, into, like, you know, I am, I am a pendulum on my feelings on, you know, no mechanics, please, mm-hmm. as an indie game movement. And I think I'm swinging back the other way a little bit mm-hmm. with it. I think, like, when I first played, uh, you know, Gone Home, and Deer and stuff, which are games I like and do have mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, I was much more friendly to the idea of like, just let me exist in a space. Mm-hmm. And I'm going back the other way now where uh, engagement is going to make me appreciate the space a lot more. Mm-hmm. And that is how it worked in uh, in Hypnospace Outlaw. I thought it was like a super novel way to solve those puzzles Yeah, um, in that place. And to me, it, like it basically, it's also a thing where like the existence of walkthroughs meant that engaging with any of that stuff was totally optional. Like yeah. if you wanted to get to the end piece mm-hmm. that was about just living in the space, you can do so in a half hour pretty easily. Yeah. You can get, a pre- you, know? you can get an appreciation for what they expected of you. Like, Oh, this is how this puzzle would have worked um, without having to go through it by, you know, mm-hmm. using a walkthrough and kind of seeing the steps that were there. Right. Yeah. 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 So uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if that was a fairly common kind of discussion point, mm-hmm. you know, when this game came out Yeah, in like the kind of the art game kind of community, especially like, you I, know? I like what's here. I like it aesthetically. I like the writing, um, you know, et cetera. And down the line, I like the characters, what do the mechanics add to this? And I think that that's, yeah. you know, there's a certain element of taste there. Yeah. yeah. Like, like for me, they added a lot. For me, yeah. they changed the way that I engaged in things and they were valuable on their own. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Cool. Um, so I've got one here that I'm anonymizing just because of who this person works for. And I'm also kind of just going to summarize it here. But we had somebody write in via contact. Uh, so during the Hypnospace Outlaw episode, uh, I mentioned kind of an anecdote about Microsoft employees publicly protesting uh, the use of HoloLens in a Department of Defense contract. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that I said something along the lines of it was used to increase the lethality of targeting. Uh, we do have a listener who wrote in saying like, Hey, actually I work at the DOD and I know about this particular thing. Um, and they say the, you know, the way the story was represented wasn't necessarily accurate. Uh, the people who were protesting were not people who had worked on, uh, HoloLens or, you know, didn't really like have a lot of insight into what was going on. And because it was classified people within, you know, the company and also, uh, in the public, uh, kind of assumed the worst of it when the project, you know, the, the stated version of the, the stated purpose of the project was to reduce civilian casualties to use the technology for that. You know, I'm not gonna, this is me, Cole, I'm not going to make a representation about what's true, but I did want to pass this along, um, you know, from a listener who has more information than I do, uh, and kind of like let people draw their own conclusions. Uh, you know, I summarized yeah. it, uh, you know, with incomplete information before just want to correct the record here or add to it. Yeah, let's I, say. I th- 
I, I think in the context, like you were summarizing a news story yes, that was related to the stuff in the game. So yeah. knowing that the news story was not necessarily the whole story is valuable mm-hmm. and is yeah. like something we should definitely like point out and stuff, but mm-hmm. it was a real world example of the kind of thing yeah. that, you know, we are kind of talking about. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like you're in the clear. Yeah. Of, of, pe- of people's reactions to the tech that they are working adjacent to being used for purposes. They may not, they may not be ideologically um, aligned with, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Like that definitely happens. Like yes. whether it happened in this specific case or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, if, if our goal was to set out and research an example of that, mm-hmm we could have found a slam dunk and researched it more than just like, Oh yeah, I heard of that story that. Yeah. That. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's also good that you made them anonymous since it was Grimes. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't like, I did, she's no, got yeah. a lot on her plate right now. Yeah. So. You know, with, with, with Elon red pilling or whatever. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, red pilling husband, the department of defense. <laughs> what's, what's going on with horrible with, with baby Grimes on the DOD? Oh, nothing. That was oh. the joke. Oh, oh gotcha. Cause they're okay. the person who wrote in. <laughs> Gotcha. But she's got a horrible baby. Making fun of that baby is punching up. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That baby will never live in the same world as you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Gordon says via contact. On the last day of Hypnospace Outlaw, I had had a really clever thought. I got paid for removing violations, but received nothing for flagging people for banning. Even worse, a banned user couldn't make violations. So if I just keep this Zane kid around, I could keep (laughs) on milking him for violations. God damn, I'm a clever bastard. What could go wrong? Hypnospace Outlaw's presentation of death hit me hard because it's very similar to the way I've experienced it in my life. It comes randomly, instantly, and there's nothing good to be taken from it. No narrative arcs were concluded. They just ended in the middle of whatever they were doing. And for the first time in a video game, I actually felt guilty. I could have saved Zane's life. Instead, I decided to bend the rules and make some extra hypno coins. I felt a dreadful connection to Dylan. Under pressure, overworked, just bending a few guidelines here and there. He didn't mean to kill anybody. Could I really judge him? What would I do if I had been in the same place uh, of the player character? In the end, I thought that the only moral thing was to accept my part in the death of Zane and let the truth be known. Dylan had too much to answer for, and it was just too cruel to watch Tim trying to forgive himself for deaths that he was not responsible for. The game was over, but it really hammered home how thoughtless and selfish actions cause so much suffering in the world. The really unsettling thing is that it's not impossible that I could find myself in a situation like that last day, but in real life. I can only hope that I'd be a better person than I was in Hypnospace Outlaw. I love the idea yeah, of farming farming Zane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there is a, I watched the most recent uh, ContraPoints video, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, take that, you know, people have different opinions on her. Yep. Let's, let's leave it at that. Uh, but she introduced me to the idea of the lol cow. Oh, which I yeah. Know yeah. About, no, like, a, like, like, a, like a, a Chris Chan. Thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and this, this is a really good response. One of the things I, uh, you know, I know I harp on this piece of media a lot or not harp reverse harp. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the sympathy that is shown in the series Chernobyl Oh yeah, for yep. the people at work, you know, mm-hmm. like it, the denouement of that of like, yeah, they did it, but they also did it because of huge systemic failures that they, mm-hmm. you know, thought there was an out and this was their training. They had no way not to know that. Mm-hmm. And it makes the psychology of the villains of that movie you know, the villains, the, the perpetrators make a lot more sense. Like they're mm-hmm. not shown as sympathetic, they're shitty, yeah. but also they did not have real information. And I think that movie also in a weird way shares some kind of like sympathy for the devil, uh, kind of vibes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's also yeah. something that the wire manages to pull off for most of its run, which is these are imperfect people who are at the sway of the system, you know, that yes. is rotten from the top to the bottom and they are not rotten yeah. for being part of it. They cannot get out of it. 
yeah there's there's a weird that that a series does such a great great trick mm-hmm. where it's like we have our principled villain mm-hmm. and then he just gives away yeah you know and it's like yeah like you know the person who's not playing the game mm-hmm. you know and it's just like super fucked up yeah so I owe myself a, a wire rewatch at some point, mostly so I can tell more people about it because one of the <laughs> things everyone likes it's important. when a white yeah. dude tells you about the wire. Yeah. So, and also to remember um, when, you know, David Simon wasn't, you know, going on Twitter showing his whole ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. AO despair on Twitter. <laughs> um, moving on to Celeste responses here. We have Julia who says via contact, I don't much like Celeste. It's too twee and too frustrating, but I really appreciate Matt slash Maddie or at least their studio, propagating the idea of difficulty sliders. Uh, it was because of those that I uh, could get far enough to realize that I just didn't like the game versus blaming my trembly hands. I hope it gets taken up uh, in, a lot more, in a lot more places, and maybe it will with uh, AAA games like Fallen Order at least showing which variables shift and by how much for different dif- difficulty levels. Totally agreed. Yeah. Yeah, this, this should be. This should have set a new standard in games. As the, 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 this as is the model. To difficulty. The model. This is the model. Yeah. Um. You know, there are more elegant ways to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways that are less ham-handed, but you lose a lot in that trade. You don't lose very much just saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. here's what this would do. Do you want to do it?" You, know, you don't get to control how your art is consumed. Yep. Um. Four says via contact. I love almost everything about Celeste, but my favorite aspect is the developer's consideration of the speedrunning community. Top-level runners use incredibly precise movement techniques to build massive amounts of speed or or pixel-perfect dash through seemingly impassable walls of spikes, all of which are intentionally allowed by the game. I don't usually do speedruns, but a friend suggested that we do a race of the game for fun, and it was great. We've since ran the game several times, uh, each since then, and it's been satisfying to watch our times steadily go down to the point where we can now beat the game in under an hour each. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Something to be said yeah. for a game that gets you to engage with it in a way that you would never engage with any other game. We have one coming down the pike for um, and the Resident Evil 3 responses that kind of mentions a similar phenomenon. Hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and like, I think that like speed running the game was probably something that developers eventually intended you to do oh, yeah. with the way it like specifically teaches you speed run techniques in mm-hmm. the bonus levels. Yeah. Um, and also specifically with the, with the developers, um, pedigree, somebody, I, yeah. I forget where they did this. Maybe it was on Twitter. Somebody wrote in, um, and said like, yeah, we talked about the similarities between this and meat boy. Turns out meat boy was inspired by something Maddie developed in the past to the point where the, yeah. A, a character from that is 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 in like bonus levels in meat boy so yeah you know like they're, yeah. they're this is foundational i think to their approach mm-hmm. yeah yeah um uh, what does moonborn say moonborn says via contact uh uh, going to out myself as the action gamer again by writing in about Celeste's boss fight with Badalyn. Non-combat focused games way too often fall into the trap of shoehorning boss fights out of obligation, relying on underbaked gimmick mechanics that have little to do with the rest of the game. Not Celeste, though. Like the end of every other stage, the fight against Badalyn tests you on the new mechanics that you've been learning throughout, with a goal touching Badalyn that fits perfectly within the theme of her, uh, of her fear of letting anyone in. Wrapped up with a killer soundtrack, this all combines to make a thrilling fight full of pathos, uh, and that's nothing short of impressive in an explicitly non-combat game. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, the way boss fights are integrated into the play is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that agreed you know i yeah uh, agreed as well uh micah says via contact 
Before Celeste, I saw brainy puzzlers like Braid and brawny skill tests like Meat Boy as distinct categories. And at first, I thought Celeste was a Meat Boy-like, with a story providing all of its intellectual content. But playing Celeste taught me that all platformers are puzzle games. Each level is a series of movement puzzles that players are asked to fall or solve. Uh, a WAF-branded I get it button would often be appreciated, of course, but I'll always be uh, grateful to Celeste for helping me appreciate the genre uh, in a deeper and more unified way. And thanks to you two for helping me appreciate video games in a deeper and more unified way. Um, cannot take credit for the I get it button. I think nope. that is a Tim Rogers thing mm-hmm. uh, that I stole. <laughs> so I just, just want to make sure that I'm not stealing valor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, or terms or what have you credit where credits yeah. do Valor but it's a, or terms. Yeah, it is a, uh, it is a useful, uh, it, it is a useful concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's something I like, I, I'm in, I'm sympathetic to this idea that mm-hmm. kind of all things are, but I think you run into a little bit of like turning into the primordial soup of games Yeah. in this way, because yeah. then it's like everything, because everything that involves decision-making becomes a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a, uh, a thing, uh, so it's not good. I'm not recommending it. Right. Yeah. But because, uh, I was doing housework, I put on a seven hour supercut of every resident evil review game reviewed. Oh, seven oh. hours. I haven't listened to all of it, but I was like okay. doing, you know, doing housework. I got through about three hours of it and, uh, they were talking about the pre resident evil four games. Okay. And he was making the cell that if you put those into a genre, the genre is puzzle. And it's not because it contains puzzles, but it's because making your way through the game, even though you're aiming and shooting, is about, you know, between point A and point B, how many bullets do I need? How many health items do I need? How many open spaces in my inventory do I need? No, that's you know, just, like, that's resource management. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a puzzle. And it reminded yeah. me a little bit of this where it's like, yeah, you can say that like, you know, you're making a decision mm-hmm. to do something. The thing with Celeste is that there are a lot of, parts where you're like how do i do this mm-hmm. but so much of like that to me was always pretty de-emphasized in comparison to execution yes and execution is not a puzzle execution mm-hmm. is a test so yeah. i'm not trying to minimize it and say that it is just a meat like a brawny mm-hmm. skill test game but even once you like knowing it is less than half the ballot battle yes to me yeah I, I think that i think that this holds true at like the high at the high level of performance like if you take this you know kind of like way down like i don't know that i would describe what i'm doing in crash bandicoot 2 as puzzling and that is still a platformer mm. you know um you know the, the things like that you know similarly like you know an action emphasis game i do not know that i would call any action game a puzzle game just because um hotline miami emphasizes order of operations in in, in, yeah. the, in the approach to you know particular encounters i think that this is this is true for a limited scope of very consider you know of games that are de- designed with a high level of consideration um and yeah. it, it 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 kind of f- falls apart as that focus probably pull, pull, pulls out i think it's it's a weird like and i 1000 percent mm-hmm. uh not saying micah is doing this mm-hmm. um but there's a weird way of like genre gerrymandering yeah. You can do that makes everything become everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a Retronauts where one of the guests argues that Super Mario World is a Metroidvania. And it is very frustrating to me because yes. it's like, you know, on one hand, hand you can do the, the, the you know, uh, mental calculation to justify that. Mm-hmm. What have you accomplished and what information have you conveyed right. in doing that? What does that tell somebody about Super Mario World or what does that add to the world to do it? 
mm-hmm. you know, and again, Mike is not doing that. No. Um, but that is something that I think is dangerous where you, it's the same thing with like RPGs, like, <laughs> oh, well, you're playing a role and you're getting, you know, you're getting stat ups in Mario, you're getting mushrooms. Yeah. So it is a role playing game. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I you know. Uh... That, like, that, 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 I was, like, that relates to an anecdote that I was going to say. One of my favorite books when I was little was, uh, like, a Secrets of the Nintendo Sages, Russell Demaria, you know, like, Omni Strategy Guide. Just like, oh, here, here's... Sages. What's that? So I love those sages. I love those sages, yeah. No, but my uncle gave it to me. I, was, I, I loved flipping through it because it was a way to vicariously play, you know, play games that I was never going to play. But it has, um, but it has uh, like a little like preamble at the front describing different gaming terms and stuff. And like they said, there are two kinds of games. There are action games and there are role-playing games. And like the definition for role-playing game is literally like, in this game, you take on the role of another character. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like and, and like it, it, it like seriously. So if it's it, not Tetris, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a role playing game. Yeah, well, it, it was like super. It was super funny because like this book had like walkthroughs of like Castlevania two, Simon's Quest, and like Zelda, and it yeah. it didn't say like where did those fit when yeah. like like those are the ones that would straddle if they could. Yeah, so, they're they're big. Uh, yeah, big gray areas. Yeah, and so, so just it, it was yeah. just very very general. I need to go back and actually like like look at that and see the actual verbiage That's there funny. because that may have derailed my understanding of role playing games by like a decade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put, you, put you way behind. Yeah. The um yeah like the the difference that uh, is at the heart of this question of articulating um what does separate Meat Boy mm-hmm. you know from Celeste is interesting and there's definitely you know to me that's more that the surroundings of a game give context to your actions like you yeah. know they're identical. You know, we talked about that in the episode. Like, yeah. you're still doing platformy stuff, even if you, you know, you say it's about this. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No. Uh, what does Andrew say? Andrew says, Celeste, for me, was a near-perfect experience. Each screen felt like a platforming puzzle with play and theming that resonated perfectly with my particular flavor of anxiety. The pacing and difficulty, at least through the seventh chapter, was tuned just right. And of course, the music, which I actually think makes up about 95% of the, quote, encouraging factor that people talk about. Uh, it's clear from the Slack discussion and the episode that my experience was not universal. And for a game like Celeste, where the strength comes from the Gestalt package, if any element doesn't work for a person, I could see how it would easily be underwhelming. Similar to how some people have such an issue with Hollow Knight's navigation, another game that was pretty perfect to me. I still loved the episode because at the risk of giving you to a head as big as the sad hotel man at the end of the chapter, uh, the way that you talk about games always feels substantive and engaging, whether I agree or not. Now I get to have Gary's sarcastic venom at Theo's struggles as an influencer, as well as the countdown to the final climb that made me tear up on the L train just a little. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's tons of people on the the Slack who also are like way into the game. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like the people were just kind of airing their their whole opinions about it. But it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you're a minority in this. No, no, by, by any means. People love this game <laughs> for the reasons people, that people you laid out. People love it. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I relate to the the whole thing with like I can understand how navigation would ruin Hollow Knight for some people, even though to me that was like a pleasure. Yeah, you know. But when people uh, had feedback about like our coverage and our opinions about that game, people were mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, that that's kind of bad. Yeah. You know, but yeah, that game is also pretty close to perfect for me as well. Like I love that game quite a bit. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And same thing, like, uh, you know, Resident Evil four, like I was talking about that cause I did that replay and I was like, man, this game is, how did they get this in fucking 
2004. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody's like, that game is so far from perfect. Like, you know, this is a problem. This is a problem. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't think those are problems, yeah. you know, but it, it's, they just weren't a problem for me. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It happens a lot. Um, Fenriliana, uh, says via contact. First things first, I must admit that I have not played Celeste, and as such, my analysis is incomplete. However, as a non-binary individual who has many trans and non-binary friends, and knowing a few things about Celeste's creation, I feel confident in saying that Badalyn does not represent a nebulous feeling of anxiety or depression, but instead a repressed identity, specifically of gender. Uh, Badalyn is a specter of how Madeline truly feels, how she truly identifies, and the baggage that comes with repressing that. The moments uh, she appears to wreak havoc most most often are when Madeline is forced to confront her own appearance, particularly mirrors and selfies, gender dysphoria. Madeline tries pushing her down, changing her, and letting her go as a fantasy, but no matter what, she cannot simply remove the truth of her identity. In the end, she has to accept this part of her, including the pain it causes and the long, difficult road of becoming who she is. It's well known that Matt slash Maddie Thorson is non-binary at this point. Uh, sometime during Celeste's development, or just after release, they said that Celeste ha- held a secret, personal meaning that nobody would likely know about. Years later, they came out and subsequently released Chapter 9, which is where the trans flag appeared on Madeline's desk. Uh, as I said, I haven't played through Celeste, and my knowledge of the core in Chapter 9 is minimal. Uh, but so much of this rings true to myself and my friends that I suspect they hammer this theme home even further. I hope this provides some perspective that helps paint a clearer picture of this game, uh, maybe helps some Madeline's listening. Yeah. Um, in the episode, I think when we talked about the screenshot, you know, with the flag on the desk, I, I, I said, yeah, there, there's absolutely a trans reading of this that I don't feel qualified to give. Everything that yeah. Fen, Fenrilliania lays out here m- makes perfect sense to me and actually helps the overall story make more sense than as a story about, you know, depression and anxiety, things that it kind of half stated that it was about and you know was definitely the popular interpretation you know of the response to it you know in the in the meet you know and in, in the you know reviews and things like that yeah. um it's it's still the popular interpretation yes immediate reviews like this is this is definitely an interpretation that is extant and valid and mm-hmm. i've seen before but it's yeah. not the only one i've seen even now you know yeah i think i think this is it's an interesting thing because and there's no uh with infinite sympathy sympathy for the struggle of the person who made the game this kind of confused reading can happen when you like kind of have it always it's very you know? generalized and, yeah. in the way that yes. it is that, that it is put out in fact like there's only like one point where madeline you know describes what does depression feel like and i think that that does uh, that goes a long way to putting a label on the overall struggle that is happening here yeah. yeah. And like sometimes like, you know, the big battle parts are not uh, just at relations to a mirror, you know, it's mm-hmm. also like, hey, this hotel owner was being an evil ghost. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of chaff in it that I think makes this a little bit harder to have that be a direct read in when playing the game. Mm-hmm. Why I'm not saying that it's not a good read or a valid read or the right read. Mm-hmm. I just mean during the game. You know, the the number one reason why I didn't pick up on that is because I'm not trans or not binary. The number two reason was there's a lot of other stuff in the game mm-hmm. that, that, that doesn't point, quite that support it. Put, put points point in. Stuff. Yeah, put points to other stuff. Other stuff that, you know, is often comorbid with dysphoria, you know, sure. an- anxiety, yeah. social problems, depression, any any of those kind of things. Um, 
you know, we're not saying that there is no con- connection. It is pointing in several in several directions. I think in service of being in, in service of being more things to more people, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or in service of it not being the statement the creator was prepared to make at the time of the genesis of the game. Yes, perhaps you know? they and were not ready. Also, they, they were not ready yeah. to have this thing that they worked on with a lot of other people be as personal of a statement. Um, you know, specifically yeah. about their own situation. Yeah. Which is super fine. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> you have you a right know, to be private if you're working. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff. Like we can yeah. only, you know, we can talk about our experience playing through the game, mm-hmm. but that's, that's what we can do. You know, like it, it gets, you know, it can be exhausting to constantly say like, this is my read and in my opinion, mm-hmm. but that should be like, I ideally is taken as a given. Yes. You know, like, yeah, like this is just our, our experience with mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, we can't speak to anything else. We're not, we had the experience we had. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean we can't learn about other people's experiences, mm-hmm. but you know, we did have the experience we had. Yeah. You know? N- knowing, so, yeah, it's, it, it, knowing what we know now post release it, uh, you know, that, that read does map onto it and makes a mm-hmm. good deal of sense. Um, and it feels like it lives alongside other reads as well. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be, that would be what I would think. Yeah. About it. Um, let's hear Alex writes, uh, I really enjoyed your episode on Celeste and after playing it through and hearing your episode, I am left with the feeling that we in the West, at least really are only just scratching the surface when it comes to public discussions about mental health. As someone who has lived with a mental illness my whole life, I left the experience of playing Celeste feeling mildly insulted and alienated by the vagueness with which the main protagonists issues were dealt with. The game's sub-Persona 4 shtick of face your dark side and you will heal and become more powerful, while being uh, while being true in part, at least in my experience, is only a small fraction of what it involves to heal and live with mental illness. I understand that it is beyond the scope of such a game to explore the full spectrum of mental health issues that one could face, and Cole makes a really good point uh, in that if this game reaches those who are struggling and helps them feel less alone or seek help, then that is absolutely amazing. I just wish there were more games that could that would really uh, tackle these issues for all the depth and difficulty that they present. As it stands with the current level of popular discourse and games and otherwise, uh, we are often left throwing around terms such as anxiety and depression, which, while very helpful in describing these very difficult emotional states, are also extremely vague and mean wildly different things to different people. I feel like the extreme variety of gameplay mechanics which have been cultivated by the medium up to this point could be utilized to explore the difficulties of various mental health issues uh, with much more specificity and nuance. Uh, in perspective, it is still fantastic that we get a variety of games nowadays that are trying to talk about mental health, something which was all but taboo only a short while ago, but I am very much looking forward to the next step. Also, as an aside, I found on too many occasions that the difficulty in Celeste came from how fiddly some of the mechanics are, uh, more specifically the feathers and the wind, uh, and just did not feel good for me to control, with some portions of the gameplay feeling optimized for the D-pad and some for the analog stick, leaving me, as someone who only plays side-scrollers with a D-pad, feeling like I was contorting my D-pad almost to the breaking point. Yeah. Yeah, like that that is similar to, you know, while making the blanket statement, we're not saying anyone's reads on this are wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the mark of good art, right? Yep. Open to interpretation. This is pretty close to how I felt about it, where it wasn't about me. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it's bad. And it wasn't 
you know, about something super important, yeah. but I just didn't see myself in it mm-hmm. uh, at all. Like the way it talked about depression and anxiety did not reflect my life in any way that ended up leaving me feeling cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just, yeah, this wasn't about me. And I, I too would like more games and media about uh, the way my specific you know, struggles with this kind of thing. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to say like, Hey, I'm a cis white dude. Where are the games <laughs> for me? But you know, it's, I'm also like, believe it or not, cis white dudes are also not a monolith, you yeah. know, and that that's okay. Like me not seeing my specific depression mm-hmm. in, in a game can be something that I bemoan, Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that's fine. It doesn't need to be Celeste, you know, no. Celeste can exist for who Celeste exists for, but that, that feeling of this isn't for me or about me pervaded mm-hmm. my whole playthrough. Yeah, of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and just uh, it's pretty tricky too to portray these kinds of things. You know, I think that we are really set back by mental health really only being the domain of horror games forever. You know, like there, there, there's a there's a certain amount of debt that the video games has built up in portrayal uh, in terms of mm-hmm. uh, sensitivity. There's a sensitivity debt there, uh, and also like really straightforward depictions of depression have the possibility of turning out like something. Say, you know actual sunlight which i despise which i think has a yeah. t- ter- terrible outlook um you yeah. know very non-helpful um kind of depiction yeah, but it was of not this. made cynically either yeah. like that was somebody trying to portray their experience yeah with this like it's just it, it's a weird way like the even thinking about the games in this way make me feel like we wouldn't think this way about other forms of art yeah you know where we're more comfortable allowing something to just be about an expression of an idea that we may or may not relate to mm-hmm. and games because of that investment and interactivity you know we we do want to see ourselves yeah. more you know and when it does have a message that we're like this is like a bad message it's not like you know it's harder to just leave over there yeah you know there's there's not as big of a field if you're looking for games about depression there aren't as many of them mm-hmm. you know uh so actual sunlight's going to come up you're going to play it and it can be vile yeah you know, so, and then also the last little bit here on the controls, I also found them a little bit fiddly and mm-hmm. saying it didn't know whether it wanted you to use the analog stick or the D pad is a really good way to put it. Yeah. Um, many deaths of me trying to jump at a 45 degree angle and not, mm-hmm. and, uh, then trying again and switching between those two modes on my switch and yeah. succeeding. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Yeah. Uh, Jerry Khan says via contact, this is entirely my kind of game. I can't speak too much about the story and themes, but I did enjoy them and how they were expressed. The encouraging nature of the design and presentation goes a long way towards making this game fun for me. I enjoy gritting my teeth, clenching my joypad, and trying to wrestle a challenge to the ground sometimes. And the feeling that Celeste was supporting me, even as it threw bullshit my path, was a good one. At least until chapter 9. I'm so glad you didn't play chapter nine for WAF. It ramps up the difficulty significantly. It's built for speedrunners, Super Smash Brothers melee pros, and no one else. But fine, I think I can do this. Four <laughs> brutal hours later, I reached the heart at the end of the level. It's extremely difficult for me, but I have done this. The relief is tremendous. I feel great. I take a screenshot. And then Celeste betrays me. The heart is fake. I have been pranked. And for the first time, I feel like Celeste is not respecting my effort and is not behind me. I quit a few screens later when the game told me I'd have to learn uh, to wave dash in order to proceed. Good God. Everyone I've talked to about, about it tells me the same thing. Chapter 9 is subtractive to this experience as a whole. And it's a shame because the rest of the game was beautifully done and so satisfying, but I was left with a very sour taste in my mouth. This is the first mechanical critique of Chapter 9 that I've seen. Everybody else focuses on the way the story lets them down. 
specifically yeah, yeah. you know be, being about an off-screen death it just it just didn't it didn't resonate for them as much as the main body of the game does um forcing you to learn to wave dash nah <laughs> well it wants you to do that because it eventually wants like that's why i meant when i said like they eventually tutorialize uh uh, speedrunning techniques. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it wants you to do those things because it wants you to eventually speedrun. Like, there's a weird, like, this is endless mm-hmm. feeling to Celeste. Like, it kind of wants to be in a forever game. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is interesting. Like, and obviously, people got a lot out of Chapter 9 narratively as well. Like, some people criticized it, but also, yeah, yeah. as our previous response, like, some people were way into it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I just know that, like, for me, I didn't want to play the White Palace of a game that is the White Palace, <laughs> you know, to put it in holiday terms. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, so moving on to responses about the Resident Evil 3 remake, we have Jack writing in uh, via contact saying, I never expected a game to be able to awaken the idea of iterative play to me the way that this one did. The achievement currency, the multiple difficulty levels, and the sheer joy of exploring and re-exploring the brilliant level design got me through seven plays and my first ever platinum achievement. Uh, I'm not sure if this is what they were going for with this remake, but this all but completely made up for the loss of Mercenaries mode, which is Dan- which had damn well better be in the RE4 remake. Yeah, they better. Yeah, Mercenaries mode would be a welcome addition. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that that is that is very cool. Yeah, I like the. We also like the way they did the currency system. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. real fun just being able to 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 load up a to to load up an infinite infinite ammo pistol, and mm-hmm. you know, like there's a trade off to that too. Like you get that pistol, you can't upgrade it. Like any of the mods yeah. that you get, you can't you know put a stabilizer on it or anything. Uh, yeah. It's the difficulty like, tokens or the damage tokens take up uh, spots in your inventory. The mm-hmm. perfect dodge window widener. Mm-hmm. takes up a spot so you have to plan more between you know safe rooms and stuff like that like there's mm-hmm. a lot to it yeah. yeah not as shallow as it first appears not at all uh nevermore 186 writes in via contact just trying in to ask what the literal fuck is with nemesis's obscenely large perfectly straight human teeth that stay perfectly intact up until it melts in an acid pit at the end of the game did it have braces <laughs> did umbrella build nemesis using charlie sheen's teeth i need to know uh, P.S. This game gave me sincere hope for a Code of Veronica remake and makes me want to know more about RE8 Village. The leak about that just came out today uh, to date this contact, and I am so ready for an RE7 sequel. As am I. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, the RE7 sequel, um, we were talking about in the Slack, and one of the things I think I realized in playing uh, RE2 make and RE3 make mm-hmm. is I think I greatly prefer the over-the-shoulder. Yeah. Uh, yep. For Resident Evil. Like, I liked Res- I love Resident Evil 7. Mm-hmm. Love Resident Evil 7. Uh, I think I like Over the Shoulder better. Yeah. It just feels, yeah, better I like to it. me. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's I... super, you know, Resident Evil 2 was super scary to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't, having it not be first person didn't interrupt my fear. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm real curious because, like, first person does seem to limit the amount of, uh, or the, limit the kind of encounters they can throw at you. Like, it works mm-hmm. in 7 because you're fighting, like, I don't know, one or two molded at a time. Um, and it's more mm-hmm. about like, you know, particular aid, you know, aiming and stuff that you're doing, um, limiting your situational awareness kind of makes it feel like they're not going to be able to, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to work that well, putting you in large crowds of enemies, let's say. Yeah. 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 You know. Like they might gather in a village. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, as for, I do nem- not know about nemesis teeth. Yeah. Nemesis teeth. It, it is a very funny design element. I just love that he basically just has like platinum 
veneers in or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very funny. He's got piano key teeth. It's great. Yeah, and to, and even when his jaws get his jaw gets broken mm-hmm. by the crane, they're still pretty good. Yep, they're still better than my teeth. Oh yeah, at that point. 100%. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty impressive. Uh, he's um, the makeout king of Raccoon City. That's <laughs> yep, the it is it is exclusively the quality of your teeth that determines the quality of your makeouts. Well, I don't know how you make out, but for me, yeah. <laughs> lots, lots of teeth and yeah. dry. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skeleton kisses. Uh, sorry, man. <laughs> can't can't <laughs> go on that ride with you. Um, Eli writes NBA Context saying, I loved this game so much that after beating it for the first time, I played it again and again and again and again. And you see where this is going. There's just so much to love that I could go on and on. Uh, But to pick just one thing to write about uh, here, I want to talk about Nikolai. Being the game's only human antagonist, I think that both the VO and the dialogue, along with the game's generally great facial animations, create a very charismatic performance for that character. He's ruthless, he has a talent for showing up when Jill could actually use a helping hand, and he leaves the game with a mystery after the credits roll. My favorite scene with Nikolai is when the nemesis attacks uh, the subway when Mikhail is implying that the team ha- that the team has a traitor. Nikolai smiles, the nemesis bursts in and we see Nikolai smiling again this time at Jill as he locks her in the car with the monster yeah yeah Nikolai's joy in his villainy you know just uh wallowing in his crepulence is uh Mm -hmm. uh very good I like that part of his portrayal he's a real scene stealer yeah in terms of uh in terms of you know being deliciously evil yes you know with the uh the compromat (laughs) <laughs> you know twitter has taught me anything it's it's you know <laughs> russians yeah in general yeah whenever whenever um, nikolai shows up it's 9 a.m in russian time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you're collecting combat data on the nemesis at 9 a.m russian time it's interesting that combat data is trending at 3, 3 p.m russian time oh, um jesus Pearson says via contact uh nemesis is always the thing you hear about when people talk about Resident Evil 3. So when the remake was announced, I was really excited, especially with how Mr. X in Resident Evil 2 Remake was one of the best implementations of chase gameplay I've ever encountered. So imagine my surprise when in RE3, the first time I see this hulking monster in real gameplay, the encounter that has built up over years and years, I throw one grenade, he slumps over, and a black box appears. Then after maybe 15 minutes of game time, he shows up again and once again goes down with one grenade. Then there's the bad boss battle, and then he turns into a xenomorph. That was the moment I realized that this game isn't going to be what I expected, and then I played uh, as a Call of Duty protagonist for about an hour. The game completely lost me. Uh, by the time I beat the last boss, I actually felt angry. It felt cheated. Where were any? Where was any of the brilliance of Resident Evil 2 Remake? I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about this game. I feel I would need a second playthrough to crystallize my thoughts. But man, what a disappointment. Yeah, I mean like uh, mr x nails what you know the original nemesis did in the original in a way that this couldn't one up so they changed his function in the game yeah yeah i mean agreed like we talked about that in the episode like i think that resident evil 3 make enjoyment uh is absolutely contingent on being able to switch gears Mm -hmm. to to play a roller coaster and recognizing that re2 remake is one of the best games like the last 10 years yeah uh and you know it's I was not expecting them to do it again. And if they just had Nemesis behave like Mr. X, like mm-hmm. I would have played it, but I also would have been really surprised if they would have done that. Yeah. You know, 
that would that would have been been a pretty odd move mm-hmm. um it's like they blew their resident their nemesis card on resident evil 2 <laughs> yep yeah you know that makes sense so. to me yeah and they could have taken another aspect of this and really further developed it mm-hmm. like had more branching paths something yeah. like that and it just it was a modest product that didn't do that yeah you know so none of this stuff is even though i had a much more positive experience with the game none of the things harrison is saying is really wrong right so i just had more fun with that same um let's see here this is miriam this is you this is me so joseph writes via contact uh the original resident evil 3 is one of the most disappointing games of my childhood as well as one of my least favorite resident evil games I was hopeful that this would be good after the stellar remake of two that worked for both my nostalgia and my modern taste, but I can't for the life of me understand what it is about the essence of three that that Capcom has now messed up twice in most of the same ways. I don't care about reused assets, but I do care that the city exploration elements are still a small percentage of the game that the Dodge feels messy when you factor in the camera misbehaving in many of the boss fights and tense moments and uh, that everything to do with the UBCS is still filler. I understand the development path this took, but I still can't help but be sour over what feels like a thin, overly set-piece-heavy linear experience that somehow managed to cut uh, to cut out some of the few memorable sequences left in the original RE3. Overall, even though I finished this in one sitting glued to the computer, afterwards, I felt like I had played a half-complete game that couldn't uh, that couldn't be saved by Jill's incredible bitch-can't-even-swim line, even if I wanted that to be the case. Uh, in case you read this and you're already in a bad mood due to the, well, state of the world in general, I just wanted to say thanks for all that you do. I love the network, and your work helps me get through these bizarre times. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't. I do like again just different experiences mm-hmm. thing for this. Mm-hmm. Like I like the dodge in this game a lot. Yeah. Um, I think that the original Resident Evil Three is super good. You know that that seven hour review thing. Yep. Uh, that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. It is pretty down on RE Three in favor of Code Veronica. What? So that was one. Of, yeah, man. <laughs> it's 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 like a weird bad opinion porn thing that okay, is yeah, nice because yeah. it gets uh. You know, it gets me across some housework, you know, but, (laughs) you know, a lot of the same things like just like, oh, this is filler. Like this is this. These are bad boss battles. And Mm -hmm. I just don't didn't have that experience with, you know, the original RE3 or this one, really. Yeah. Like, I generally like these boss battles. I think Mm -hmm. the dodge in this is pretty good. Um, The other one was pretty fiddly, but it was also like kind of less necessary. Like when the dodge didn't work, you just it was just a normal Resident Evil game. Mm hmm. You know, which always, like, encounters against big things are always just weird ammo sucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, stand there and use healing items and shoot bullets until the thing falls down. You know? So, yeah, just different experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nah. And, like, I like I, I don't think that the UBCS is filler. Like, yeah, it, it is kind of bland, you know, on the, on, the, on the face. Like, oh, it's paramilitary mercenaries or whatever. Like, in the original RE3, like, the stuff with the, with the uh, supervisors is real fucked up. And, like, mm-hmm. even here carlos's arc you know kind of understanding coming to understand that he is he is working for the bad guys is good and subtle you know Mm -hmm. um and the fact that he is just a good good guy who was going after a paycheck and he immediately starts trying to set it right like i think that is that 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 is real good and you wouldn't have that if ubcs wasn't a thing um yeah it's just different experiences you know yeah it's also a thing too where like i am just such a sucker for like the public face of uh umbrella yeah you know like and this is there are people for whom getting invested in umbrella at all it just makes me an absolute 
piece of shit dork. <laughs> but like the idea that like how would this be allowed to operate? And it's like, well, it's not all just the evil division. Yeah. You know, there's Safspring, there's the UCBS, like there's stuff that they did. They were doing an evacuation effort, even if it mm-hmm. was just PR and to cover up them rescuing their scientists. Yeah. You know, and executing combat their data. scientists. Yeah. Executing, yeah, doing a cover up and getting combat data. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Joss says via contact. Uh, I had a fun story about RE3 that I thought you guys might appreciate. Although I could definitely use have used more of it, I really enjoyed the game. One of my favorite moments playing it, however, came when I found myself pushing up against the severely limiting boundaries it set for the player. I hadn't bought the grenade, brought the grenade launcher with me the first time during the clock tower fight with the fish dog nemesis. <laughs> uh, and after using up all the ammo from my other weapons, I found myself facing off against him with only my knife, rolling and dodging around his attacks and trying to stab him to death from behind. The experience really reminded me of Dark Souls. And I felt so empowered after having internalized the boss's patterns. After about 30 minutes of dancing around and picking away at him, however, I realized I simply would not be able to finish the fight this way, so I let him kill me. Only for the autosave feature to put me back at the start of the fight, sans grenade launcher, uh, I was able to go back to a manual save, but for a moment, I thought I, saw, I thought I was stuck in an endless cycle completing the Dark Souls illusion. <laughs> oh, and fuck the hospital room with the two beta hunters in it. Yeah, the, the, the hospital room with the two beta hunters in it that is made infinitely harder by how quickly that door closes. Yeah, yeah it's a, the weird automatic closing yeah. doors. The, the, the door is uh, the third enemy in that room. <laughs> The electricity saving uh, <laughs> Resident Evil doors. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, auto checkpointing is really interesting mm-hmm. like that. You know, like I think that ideally like you would just you would Keep. do an auto checkpoint or you'd have like a, a it wouldn't make any sense for there to be an item box on that bridge. Mm-hmm. But she could have gone down the bridge and then gone into like a little bridge control room or whatever. That could have been the safe room instead of the sewer. Yeah. Well, if they did that, when you were going up the uh, building that was marked for demo, like there was, there was a save room and then you did some, you know, corridors being just by nemesis. And then there was like uh, a, an item box and a typewriter just like out in yeah. the open right before you yeah. went up to the just, arena. Yeah. yeah. It's for construction typing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for typing yeah. orders. <laughs> yeah. Just to yeah. Type, building, type out on a piece of question mark, <laughs> type out on a piece of like, paper, blow this up and then just tape it to the yeah. front of the building and leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to make sure that it doesn't have your handwriting on it. Oh yeah. You just want to have like a nice twenties feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel more connected to the page, you know, did they make uh, or could I have custom made a typewriter that uses like, like different fonts? Like I could have oh. like an impact typewriter or like a Joker man typewriter. Uh, I, I, I can only imagine that's a thing. Maybe. Yeah. I got to look, look, look like being a custom Joker I, man typewriter. I think it's very that, funny. <laughs> I know like that they a were typed manuscript. That's all in Joker man. <laughs> there, <Or> were, Chiller. <laughs> <laughs> there were electric typewriters. Like there was like selectric ones that had a, a, like different, you could do different fonts with them. I think they had different, um, different letter orbs or whatever the name of mm. those is, <laughs> whatever they called those. <laughs> Um, the current affair thing. Yeah, yeah. God, I love the letter orbs. Um, yeah. yeah, man. Oh, they'll just get a freestanding one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, bring us out here with Ken. Yeah. Or, la- go ahead. Yeah, la- You're last a joke. Last one. Uh, no, that's fine. I, I wasn't going to say anything. Um, Ken here uh, gives us her last comment via contact saying, Hi, guys. I know this is a bit early, but I wanted to jump in while I still have the chance. I wanted to pass something along that I noticed about the music while playing through RE3 Make. In 1999, like a lot of other companies at the time, Capcom put out a Biohazard Orchestra album that had 12 fully orchestrated tracks from across the RE series arranged by Masami Ueda. Uh, It looks like RE3 Make used two of these tracks for its save rooms. The standard RE3 save room, um, and there's a link here, 
um, and the police station are a two-save room uh, that, for when you play as Carlos. I probably only noticed this uh, because I was listening to the album on repeat leading up to the release, as one does. If anyone listening hasn't checked it out and enjoys the great music from the RE games, you can find the entire thing on YouTube. Its renditions of the Malformation of G songs are particular standouts, but mainly because they allow the, so the, they, they allow the strong songwriting on the original tracks to really shine through. Man, I miss the, I miss the days of melodic games music. Same. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I think we talked about the soundtrack a little bit, but the soundtrack is super good. Mm -hmm. um, and Resident Evil is one of those series that quietly has like a great soundtrack. Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, not, not, just, and, the, uh, not just the tracks that you like know, know of, though. That's It's not just the it's not just the savory music that's really good. Yeah. It's not just yeah. Bloody Tears. Right. You know, it's also just um, me and my friend Derek played um, somebody modded. Uh, the first three Resident Evil games into Left 4 Dead. Hmm. Uh, and they're really fascinating. Like, they don't play like Left 4 Dead. They have puzzles and keys and, like, events and stuff. Like, all the bosses are replaced by tanks. <laughs> but it also is a thing where you have to go in and do the puzzles and stuff. Uh, and we we played that yesterday and uh, played through Resident Evil 1 on that in a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And it was just, like, awesome. It's like, oh, yeah, guardhouse music. Yeah. Guardhouse music, though. That's actually, like, really uh, important to this <laughs> Yeah. yeah guardhouse music like it was just and then uh it does get worse like when i did resident evil 2 remake as i love that there's that option to put on the original music mm -hmm. and sound effects because like why wouldn't you yeah you know if you're not getting that police station swells as soon as you come in what's wrong with you mm -hmm. you know that's holy yes um, yeah, so thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, if if you have things to say about next month's games, mm -hmm. which are uh, Dreamfall, uh, Longest Journey, Dreamfall, Crash Bandicoot 2, or Order of Ecclesia, hit us up by June 15th at yeah. duckfeed.tv slash contact. Mm -hmm. And if you have things to say about July's games, you can write in um, by July the 15th. Gary, do we want to announce what we are playing in July? Yeah, it's, uh, it's our kind of JRPG month. Kind Summer of. JRPG. We have two <laughs> things that are kind of capturing the energy of JRPGs without doing a traditional button masher. Mm -hmm. um, so the first two episodes, it's going to be a two-parter. Mm -hmm. um, we are finally doing Tactics Odor, Ogre, uh, Let Us Cling Together. Tactics Odor is the Mad Magazine parody. Yes. Not doing uh, Tactics Odor. <laughs> Just the Ogre, please. Yep. <laughs> uh, so a two-parter mm -hmm. uh, on that because that's a long game. Yes. Um, yeah. Really looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Big, uh, you know, I've barely touched it. Big tactics blind spot from one of my favorite creators. Yes. Um, really looking forward to getting back in. I was looking at just like the names of the the names of the battlefields, you know, and just mm -hmm. like lots of lots of names for geographical features that I only recognize from, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics. So it's gonna be real fun to go to a Fen. Oh man. <laughs> I can love a Fen. Yeah. Uh, let's get, get in that Fen. Get in that fjord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, going to be two episodes on that. Uh, we've got four episodes though, in addition to the, uh, in addition to the dispatch. Uh, so, uh, the third one, it's going to be kind of a cool down. We are doing an executive produced episode about Hitman two. Mm -hmm. And that's Hitman 2016 two or Hitman 2018 yes. or however you want to put it. Not right. uh, the original Hitman two. Correct. But the, uh, follow up to the 2016 game, uh, that was one of my favorite games I played last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is so phenomenal. Um, the generalities will be really brief on that. We're just going to be talking about the levels and stuff yeah, and the plot. Yeah. Um, we are going to do the add missions, add on missions, since it will be a generality light episode. Yes. 
So the things they've added to it, the free DLCs, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the, the, really the bank vault too. mission, the, the island mission. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, so, you, you bet your ass I'm going to throw a car battery into that ocean. Yeah, man. Uh, just electrocute all the fish. Yep. Um, and then the second little bit of JRPG uh, energy we're capturing mm-hmm. is our premium episode for that month. We're doing uh, the Mario Golf GBA RPG. Yeah. Mario Golf Advanced Tour, uh, which yep. is one of, you know, a, a few Camelot Mario uh, sports games that has uh, RPG elements on it. Mm-hmm. Camelot, some of the worst writers in the business. Uh, but, um, but here's out. Know, but here's out. Uh, we both love that game. We mm-hmm. both like golf games. Adding RPG elements to sports things is something that I'm surprised doesn't happen a lot more. Mm-hmm. And we both like golf more than tennis. Yes. So we wanted to get some RPG flavor. Um, and a little spoiler, the RPG flavor does continue into August. Yes. Um, and uh, we're really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for July, uh, Tactics Over to kind of get the cadence and adventuresome feel mm-hmm. of the JRPG and Mario Golf GBA to get some of the stat uh, kind of focus. Yeah. So very much looking forward to that. Um, all of those games are going to be going to be balm after Crash Bandicoot. I'm extremely, I'm extremely excited to play those. Yeah, I didn't. I yeah. didn't know whether whether you're enjoying Crash Two or not no, because no, I really I, didn't. Yeah, uh, and I was I, very I, worried. I, I, that I know was somebody be a wanted us. Like. I know somebody wanted us to play it. I'm. It's. It's hard. It's hard to find the motivation to do it. So, yep. Um, uh, yep. I pushed myself through, but it yeah. is difficult. Uh, I have a lot of problems with that game. Um, that is no uh, disparagement to the person who requested it or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's a big series. Um, was important to a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. I just, uh, you know, uh, we, we got new games now. Yeah. Um, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And Order <laughs> of Ecclesia has been a joy. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm on that crab boss, which is hard, but at the mm-hmm. same time, like, it's still fun. I'm like, oh, I could do this. Yeah. yeah. A Castlevania game where you get an achievement for fighting the bosses without taking a hit is, like, weirdly revolutionary, since that's not how the DNA of Castlevania bosses usually goes. Right. Like, you're meant to take hits, mm-hmm. meant to be unavoidable damage. And uh, the idea that, like, oh, this there's not a lot of unavoidable damage in this is really cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's going to be it mm-hmm. for this dispatch, long dispatch. Yeah. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, if you're listening, you know what you can do. Uh, Patreon.com slash DuckVTV. Get uh, episodes a week early. Get the whole, get the premium episodes. Get all of the premium episodes, uh, even for just backing mm-hmm. for one month. Um, and ratings and reviews and tell your friends. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Until next time. Good night. Good night.